You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Well, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because lobsters live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? For me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. Conquer your fear! And I promise you'll conquer death! The gods have a way of punishing such pride. No man or woman can be too powerful or too beautiful without disaster befalling. He never lusted for war, Alexander. Or enjoyed it so. Uh, Alexander, be reasonable! You are a name living forever in history. The king lives! The first rule of war is to do what you ask your men to do. No one, not my finest enemy, has spoken like you to me. In my womb, I carried my avenger. I see her in your eyes. Obey me this once. It takes strong men to rule. All you desire, the world is yours. In the end, all that matters is what you've done. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Above the Title, a podcast about the career of Colin Farrell and the state of the 21st century movie star. I I, I, I made a point not to like hit my T's super hard on title and that I did the loudest podcast anyone's ever done. That's our fourth attempt at recording the intro, gang. Uh, this is It might even be more. Fun. It might be more than four. I think this is four actually on the the audio uh, I'm i was Cole. saving this for dan um i'm just gonna start drinking it now do it what is yeah. it what are we drinking well, i coming? wanted to find mojitos because of our friendship but i couldn't i oh. only found canned margaritas so yeah margarita. uh, i'm cole that's connor who's drinking a canned margarita right now yeah uh and this week we are talking about what i i think this is one of the big ones right like if we this were is going... definitely an important movie um over the landscape of his career it's yeah. an important cornerstone if if we were going to have like speed run this podcast and just basically covered like five yeah. movies and summed up everything that happened in between those five movies this would be have to be one of the movies we talked about which is weird because there's actually nothing to talk about with this movie is my hot take on this movie. It's just so important for his career. I think uh, if we were, I think if you and I were to have uh, curated this podcast, yeah, um, I think it would have been Tigerland, Minority Report, Phone Booth, uh, Daredevil. <laughs> I think you, you got to throw Daredevil in. I'm saying, probably, probably I'm saying. And cut I am everything saying else out. There is a world where we could have done Phone Booth, this week's movie, Miami Vice in Bruges, The Banshees. Lobster, and Banshees, right? Yeah. Like you could speed run it that fast. That and you'd still have to talk about Alexander, even though <laughs> there's not much to say about Alexander, actually. It's just so important to the career of his the to to the story of his career right because this is the end of it in a way i'm happy we're doing it this way that sounds yeah. like um, oh, i'm happy uh, we're doing it this way 
<laughs> that sounds like a very pedestrian podcast to which you and I, um, from how well I know you and how well you know me, I think it would not work very well. <laughs> that is what literally what you pitched here. me. That is literally something you pitched me. Connor. Well, I changed my um, mind. I know I changed you changed my mind. mind. And you were right. Because yeah. it's more fun. It's more fun to talk about something like Home at the End of the World than it is Wait, to talk okay. about this. Let me right? let me rephrase. I think yeah. when I think uh well, we had an idea just to do a podcast before we yes. decided like what we were going to talk about. And then it was you, originally going to be about someone else. That's a that's a was, fun little it was seed. originally well, it was originally to, going to be uh Colin versus somebody else's career. Yes. Someone in my camp, Colin in your camp, although yes. I also love Colin and you and also I love, love this the other, other person. person. And uh, who has done a lot of television, and we couldn't really figure out how to cover the television. That's a lot of television, and and just I think it it was it would have been too. We were looking at like a five year long project with yeah. that, and yeah. I think when you I, and at the time I was trying to say, well, we'll whittle down that person's filmography. Yes. And yeah. We'll oh yeah. 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 No, that that is yeah. that is correct. Uh, try to guess uh, who this person is. Uh, my we have hint, not spoken about them on the podcast. All, I don't think we have talked about them at all. Going to, yeah. All I will say true. is that this year, that actor Colin uh, Connor's fave has given what is maybe the best performance <laughs> of their career, uh, and last year they gave what is maybe the worst performance <laughs> of their career. And I will say this: they were one of the twenty people nominated for an Oscar last year. I think I think you haven't seen a lot of the television that was barring us sure, from as, them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna say that was the worst performance, this is <laughs> this is one of my favorite. The person, the other person we're considering is one of my favorite actors of all time, and the performance they gave last year that they were nominated for an Oscar for, I think, is disastrously bad. All right, uh, we got to move on. We got to we got to move on. I don't want to. Okay, move. welcome to the Alexander episode. This is the big one. I think this is going to be a fun one because I. I'm willing to put money down, Connor, that this is the only episode we will ever do that is shorter than the movie we are covering. <laughs> yeah, um... Maybe the new world. The new world is the yeah. only other one that could push it. How long is the new world? The new world is like three hours on the nugget. I've got the Blu-ray right there. I can try to yeah. look at that. Well, the, the, the new world is actually, the new world is another one where there's a bunch of different cuts. Though that yeah. one, I think there was a more accepted cut, and I want to say it's about three hours. I've never seen the New World. Fun fact: um, I watched it in history class uh, in yeah. high school. But this movie, well, let me let's get into it. Connor, what 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 cut of Alexander did you watch? I watched the theatrical cut last uh, Sunday, I guess. Oh um, my god! Don't say what you're about to say. And then I watched the. The uh, Alexander revisited the final cut unrated this morning. So you watched that one. Oh God. So that's yeah. horrible. I watched the ultimate cut. Um, uh, I, could, I I wish I could tell you like what the differences are. I, I was having trouble even just figuring out what the differences between the, yeah. uh, the final cut and the theatrical cut were. Well, it's like 40 minutes longer. That's the main one. It's 40 minutes longer. It feels like it's the, the same movie. Yeah. So it let doesn't me, feel let me, any different. Let me run through the cuts here because I actually think what's going on with this movie, and it's it's four different cuts of the film Alexander. 2004 film directed by Oliver Stone, starring Colin Farrell as Alexander the Great. Here's the, here's the story of the versions of this movie. 
This movie comes out in Christmas 2004, Thanksgiving 2004, sorry. It is 175 minutes long. Uh, as we will talk about, it is a colossal flop. Uh, then there is a director's cut, which comes out on DVD in 2005. And I'm going to put director's cut in uh, quotation marks because it does not, in fact, appear to be an actual director's cut. And I've seen some indications out there, semi-unverified, that like Warner's told him that he needed to deliver a different cut for the DVD uh, mm. because the director's cut is... I believe it loses 30 minutes and then adds 20 minutes in. So it's about 10 minutes shorter than the theatrical cut. And my understanding is it is more of an action movie. It is more fast paced. So the rumor I've heard is that the theatrical cut, the director's cut is Warner's wanting a more marketable disc to sell. So that's in 2005. Then in 2007, there's the version you saw, which is Alexander revisited. Uh, my understanding of this, and I have a quote here from Wikipedia, uh, which is um, Stone saying, I'm going all out, going to put everything I like in the movie, comparing it to Cecil B. DeMille. He compares it to old school, like roadshow releases. That is three hours and 45 minutes. That is even by Stone's own admission, just like him wanting to make something opulent and long. And I feel like having not watched it, but read it, he talks about it similarly to how Peter Jackson talks about the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings movies where kind of pacing goes out the window and it's just about putting everything back in it. I actually think um, it's a little more enjoyable to watch, uh, but it's, I'm telling you, man, it's not like there's, it's not like daredevil where there's complete yeah. scenes, storyline, story arcs, character arcs cut out and put back in. It felt to me, I, I can point to like a couple things yeah. that were different, but it felt to me like very much the same film that I had already seen. Yeah, I think there's more gore in the in the battle sequences, but even then it wasn't gore like it's marketed as an unrated cut of the film. Even then, it's not gore that like I haven't seen in other R rated movies. Yeah, it's nothing. My, along those lines. my understanding was that a lot of the love story was removed from the director's cut and a lot of the gay stuff or the theatrical cut or in the theatrical the cut. Yeah, the theatrical cut. Was I wrong? That's what it's, I heard. It's not. It could you could be. I. The problem is it's so uh, we'll get into it more. It's yeah. um, to put it plainly, this portrayal of Alexander, he's portrayed as a bisexual man. Yes. Um, but he's only he's only shown uh, having physical intimacy with women um, throughout the film that that goes beyond like hugging and caressing. Yeah. Um, he, he shares a kiss with the eunuch. Well, he has a uh, sex scene in the ultimate cut. And I believe in the final cut as well with uh, Bagal Bagalas, who is the eunuch. It's not as graphic as the, I don't um, know about saying a sex scene. Well, not it's a fade. Cut. It's it's like a James Bond as sex scene where it yes, like, fades yes, to yes. black, but it's, yes. it's meant to read. That's not in the theatrical is my understanding. Oh, okay. I can't, um, and neither I can't really is remember his, the theatrical cut. In this. Anyway, just, just to end this, the the final cut, which was the Blu-ray cut in 2007, is three hours and 40 minutes long. And then in 2014, they he put out the ultimate cut, which is just him tightening up the final cut uh, and cleaning up the pacing a bit and making it about 10 minutes shorter. So that's I'm happy the version. you seem to have let it go, Oliver Stone. I wish you would have just let I've it go earlier. <laughs> I you also would not personally... <laughs> 
on one hand, I get the desire to like fix the thing, right? Because yeah. this movie is such a calamity. Um, on the other hand, is there anything to fix? I'm just gonna cards on the table and i am bummed we had a guest scheduled for this episode he had to drop out no hard feelings he'll be on a later episode he's a bit of an alexander defender and i was hoping to have that energy on because my hot take and you guys were bound for a lecture on antiquity that's the other uh... thing is he actually knows (laughs) something about antiquity which i don't um i think this is the worst movie we've covered so far on the show I think this movie is an absolute disaster. I don't know if it's the I worst wish one it we've was covered. More of a disaster. I think American Outlaws is the worst movie we've covered. You, you know uh, why I'm going to give American Outlaws the edge as being better than this movie? What? Go for it's it. Give me your sh- It's two hours shorter. That's yeah. I two okay okay no 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 hours no, shorter. Cool. Here is my take that I told you I was coming in with a take. Yeah. Is that I think this might be the best Colin performance he's given so far. That's fucking insane i think are you fucking kidding me no i think this is my i think the second time i was watching the film and i was just paying extra close attention to him because i had already kind of made up my mind of this being a movie that i don't care very much for um or think holds much value i was just i was very much tuning in to our constant ongoing debate as to whether or not he's a movie star i'm not sure if i you know have come stronger on one side or the other considering the movie star question but i think just looking at what he's doing when he's on screen i think this may be the best performance he has given in a film i just think the movie is such a mess that it's like what's the point what is even the point i don't think he's necessarily bad per se in this movie um and i don't think it's his fault uh i think it's the movie's fault um he is that that, i'm sorry that's just a ridiculous argument to make (laughs) have you not seen intermission we had a whole conversation about intermission I just think he's completely lost in this movie i think he's completely directionless and he doesn't know what he's doing i think it's um, and i think it's the scared. uh i don't and, think he's i actually i actually disagree with you i think he knows exactly what he's doing i think he's trying to play to something specific i think he is on such disparate terms with what oliver stone is trying to do maybe. with the movie as a whole that it's not working and i i I will side with Colin in this because the rest of the movie is such a disaster that it feels like Oliver Stone is lost in the sauce. But no, see, like that's Colin, what had a, Colin had a strong idea of what he was trying. I to don't do. even think Oliver Stone is lost in the sauce because I've seen Oliver Stone lost in the sauce. And that's more interesting than this. My counter argument is that I do in fact think there are good performances in this movie and they're not Collins. Let, um, let me make a second. Let me make yeah. a second pitch. Because such of this, so much of this movie, especially the final cut, is a conflict between this uh, romantic friendship between him and um, Hephaestion, who's played by Jared Leto. And I think Jared Leto gives one of the worst performances I've ever seen in a movie. In Jared this Leto. And I think if any other male actor had been cast other than Jared Leto, I think then you start looking at the Colin performance like, oh, what a what a meticulous, like intimate 
uh, portrayal of a real man who's been thrust in the situation you, where are he's you conquering. Pranking the me? Is this a prank? No. Why do you think Jared Leto is good in this movie? No. God. No. 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 God. No. No. I just think I, I, I have been coming at this this take this this show right that you put Colin in like a big iconic leading role and he doesn't seem to know what to do with it. Whereas if you put Colin in either a supporting role or a more like acerbic, you know, mean spirited leading role, he can, he can, he plays that he plays character stuff really well. But I say, I always say the word square jaw, but whenever he has to do like the, the Hollywood thing, he seems like he doesn't really know what he's doing at this part in his career. And I think this is almost the ultimate example of that. He's given worse performances when he's asked to do stuff like this, but because this movie is so big and so opulent that you just see that he is, I I don't think he ever has anything to grasp onto and there's no character there for him to act. And I'm going to just play my Trump card, which is that, you know, death of the author or whatever. Colin Farrell agrees with me here right <laughs> yeah i mean i'm talking about his career up into this point. i know like, i know I'm there are better saying, performances coming oh no of course um, oh, I, I, yeah. i'm talking up to here too i think we're about to we've talked about 2004 being a bad year right yeah home at the end of the world kind of hurts this movie the reason i think this movie is so important in his career this kills the Colin Farrell movie star experiment. Well, look, man, I'll restate. I think this movie is an absolute disaster. Oh, no, I, yeah. I have no desire to ever watch it again for as long as I live. But I think coming down the line and pretty immediately after this, we are going to start to see him mature as an actor into the actor he is today. Yeah. And there's an interview he gave when he was on the Banshee's press cycle where mm-hmm. he basically straight up said, I was so bad in Alexander that I realized I had to start taking this seriously. Right. That I came out of that shoot yeah. and I saw that finished product so and I was so like distraught about how poorly it had gone that I knew that I had to like start actually thinking about acting like I had when I was younger. I, I'm just I'm just saying I'm I know <laughs> I, I interpret that I interpret that interview differently. I think I don't like again, I don't think he gave a bad performance in this role, but I think what happened was this film to him was such a personal failure with Maybe. its reception that I think it opened up his eyes to how to navigate the film industry as a whole and how to pick projects and how yeah. to kind of guide his way into working on stuff that he's genuinely passionate about. Cause I don't think there's like a part of Colin Farrell that's passionate about telling the story of Alexander the great, but yeah, I, I, I think he I took agree. this role for obvious reasons. I'm just yeah. saying, I, th- I, I think he's actually like really interesting in this film Part of the problem is he's what I see in Colin Farrell's performance is this tragedy about a man who is trying to unite cultures and love openly and is kind of torn down by all the different factions trying to grab a piece of like what they're accruing together. And um, I think that's that's like a really interesting thing that he seems to be grasping, but the film itself is not interested in like yeah. depicting that in any way whatsoever. And like I said, I think so much of his performance is about his torn love with Hephaestion as opposed to like his duty to sire and heir to the throne to unite these cultures as he conquers more and more land as he ventures into the far east um and then when jared leto gives him absolutely nothing 
then you're missing the like the entire from from what I understand, the entire priority of his performance is neutered from the onset because Jared Leto is like a non-actor in this film. And like you need Maybe. you need somebody in that role to like make you believe to make you understand why Alexander is so torn because of his love for her. Face. I, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't see what it is that you're seeing in this, in Colin's performance here, because I, I think he's giving us nothing, right? Like, I think it is just a flat. There's stuff in here that works. There is, yeah. he has a read on the character who comes out, in a handful of scenes, especially near weirdly in like the last hour of the movie. He like, I, I, I don't know why it's in the last hour of the movie. Maybe it's how it was cut. Cause this movie's so non-linearly, but every so often he'll start playing Alexander as this like spoiled, scared kid. Right. Like, I do think he has a good understanding of how young Alexander the Great was. See, I don't necessarily and see it like that. I yet, I don't know if this is a difference because of the cuts of the film that we had watched. But the cuts aren't that yeah, different. They're not. It's not um, like I watched Ultimate and you watched Theatrical. You watched the slightly fattier version of the cut I watched. He doesn't seem scared to me. He seems like uh, because he if, if we're going to start getting into like the actual meat of the film that. Part of him deep down believes that he is like an heir to Zeus, that he is like a demi demigod, yeah, but- that like Zeus is his actual father. Yeah. And that to him, it's like the like his his entire goal in life is for glory. And he wants to find that glory through suffering. It, but nobody else around him is interested in that kind of that purpose that he sees for himself. See- and that's what I find interesting is like him trying to convince other people to die just to have their names be remembered when they're like, no, we don't want to die. We want to go back home and live with our families. And he's like, but that's not important because nobody's going to give a shit about that a few thousand years from now. But people will care if you go in and unite the entire world under one banner. Um, and he's like, I would rather do that and die young than than not do anything at all and live a long life that's happy with with people that I love and and many children and I find I just find that very very interesting and I I just it's it's a wild take that that he uh, he gives for the character I I see I, I I see nothing there I'm sorry I see nothing there but what I do see that I respond to really well in this performance is every so often he lets the mask slip. And I will say, I do think Colin is consciously letting the mask slip and like revealing this inner hidden Alexander who is like so burdened by the weight of the expectations his mother put on him that he like never really grew up and he's just a bratty preteen. And I'm thinking what I think is the best scene in the movie, which is when he kills uh, this guy named Clytus, who was an advisor to his father and then an advisor to him. It's it is like a the, good scene in the movie. The, 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 the scene where everything starts breaking down for him, which is where th- this advisor basically tells him, like, you got to stop the march. You got to stop the invasion. We got to go back to Macedonia. And Colin responds, Alexander responds by basically throwing a hissy fit, yeah. right? Like he's he's unable to handle that he's being challenged. But what I see in the performance that I'm really responding to is he's unable to be handled being challenged because he doesn't 
actually really understand what it is he's doing. He's just been doing it because he's been told he has to do it. And it but I think we're speaking like, to the same thing now. It's like, like he has this idea of glory of just stuff, like you go and suffer and you conquer and then you die. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff where he's like a childish little brat freaking out, unable to handle things. This like arrest development stuff, which again, I see Colin playing as like a quote unquote real Alexander leaking out. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. That's a very small part of this movie. And I find, I don't see when, when he is in a more composed mode, I don't see him ever playing a man who is composed and holding that at bay. Right. I see what I see is Colin Farrell in dress up directionless and lost and having no sense of who this guy is and occasionally coming up with a take that works on like a scene by scene basis. And those scenes are good. I see like every other young actor, pretty boy that's in this movie, the way that you're describing Colin. And I don't see. see Oh, oh, I'm in agreement with you there because no, there are two good performances in this movie, but people are lost. And the problem with this movie is, can I hit you with my big take on the problem? I think there with this might movie? be more than two. I think there, there two. I think there's more than two. I there think are two. two. Okay, yeah. we can disagree about with Colin. I think there are two good performances in this movie, but I okay. think the, the two prob- that I want. Eric, Val and make your point first. Val and Angelina. Okay, make your point, and then I'll okay. I'll go. I'll add. I'll add yeah. maybe uh, someone to that. Well, I want to hit yeah. you with what I think is the guiding problem with this movie. Which is again the 2004 Oliver Stone movie Alexander, <laughs> which we have still not gotten into the plot synopsis of. Um, Do you want me to cover the plot synopsis real quick? I want to ask it's pretty you fast. This, I want to ask you this question, and then I want you to do the summary and plot synopsis. Okay. What is this movie about? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Because this movie is about look, nothing. Look, look. look. Yeah. I. I don't necessarily think a. I think it's actually very reductive to say a movie is about something, right? Movies aren't about something. Movies are about a million different things. I don't but think that's in, a reductive take at all because I've argued for a long time now that if a movie is good, if a movie is good, you inherently are able to say, well, it's at least partially about this thing right off the bat yes. as you're yeah, describing oh, yeah, yeah. the movie I, to somebody. I think yeah. that very like fucking like film 101 analysis of X movie is about Y. That idea that like a movie yeah. has a message like that, that fucking I'm sorry, fucking apparatus read of these things. I think that's more of like a David Bordwell. Yeah, that almost Bord- it, yeah. no disrespect to Bordwell, but that very <laughs> that very like movie as didactic container for message movie is like Gramescian, you know, depictor of hegemonic ideology. Which let's be honest, a lot of our worst movies are intending to do that. Yeah. I think reading a movie that simply is faulty, even for a filmmaker like Oliver Stone, who is such a didactic filmmaker, I think that's faulty. So when I ask you, Connor, what is this movie about? I am not saying what is the big idea. No, I understand. I, is, I'm, I'm saying this for listeners. I'm, I'm not saying, saying I understand what, yeah. you because if you were to ask me, if you were to ask me something like, like what is, uh, rephrase your question again. Well, let me, let me just rephrase. What is this movie about? Break this down for the listeners. I am not asking yeah. what is the thesis Oliver Stone is trying to impart. I am asking Literally, what was anyone supposed to get out of the experience of watching this movie? 
No, but I'll give you an example right now, because if you ask me, if you say, what is The Doors about, the movie of The yes. Doors that Oliver Stone made in 1991, I yes. would tell you right off the bat, like I because that movie is a complicated movie that doesn't really explain yes. itself outright. But when I was when I have seen that movie, I I walk away with it with this this undeniable feeling that that movie is about kind of the regret of the 60s of not fulfilling yes. what people thought they would accomplish during the 60s in terms of like social change and and change of attitudes that's and a take I, that i can give you like right yes. off the bat and the, i the would also say yeah that that movie is about the sheer like lizard brain brain pleasure of listening to the doors yeah. right that that movie yeah. or to, to 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 do a similar thing jfk a very complicated movie mm -hmm. we can say to some big picture sense regardless what you think about the literal politics is about the the death of kennedy is the death of america right yeah. like and it, i think it, you it, can it, also like when terms. i think of that movie when i think of that movie cole yeah. i think about just the the thirst to learn the truth that yes. that the truth is undeniable and the more we try to tell ourselves that it's not important, the more important it, it seems to feel. Yeah. Um, and again, I a very complicated a movie, movie yeah. that's hard also, to make intellectual. Uh, it's 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 hard to make definitive intellectual judgments about because it includes so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? A, a movie I would also argue is about how the only way you can properly interrogate the American empire is by going insane. Right? That, <laughs> yeah. that either yeah. either you either you yeah. like put your blinkers on and ignore everything or you become this like ho pathetic homophobic psychopath right but that's mm -hmm. that's the point i'm making is that like even with a filmmaker like oliver stone who's an expressly didactic filmmaker we get that we we can just hit you with these varying almost even contradictory big picture reads of the movies of his that either work or are interesting. So when I say, Connor, what is Alexander about? I literally am saying, what the fuck is this movie about? I don't know. I, there, I There's nothing. This movie gives me nothing. And that's why I think it's the worst movie we've covered. Even American, even American Outlaws has more interesting political implications than this movie. Okay, but unintentionally. Uh, like, yes, you know what I no, mean. But, but that's yeah. my point. I don't give a shit about intentionality. American Outlaws' weird association of the South with anti-capitalism, with <laughs> Americanism as an ideal that divorces any like actual political agency from the Confederacy, but continues the Confederate project, is more interesting than anything that happens in this movie. I think what Alexander is about, and I've been thinking about this quite a bit, Cole, so, <laughs> so just understand that what, I, what I'm about to say is I think I think Oliver Stone's big, big expression to the movie going culture with his film Alexander from 2004 is, isn't it so weird how this guy was interested in having sex with men? I think that's like his big take. I, I, I honestly think that's his big take. Maybe <laughs> I wish that was the yeah. movie Oliver Stone had made. No, but it's not. It's not Oliver Stone saying like, "What are the ramifications of this kind of 
uh, intersex relationships. It, it's Oliver Stone literally saying the weirdest thing about this guy is that yeah. he's interested in men. Yeah, it's that this guy, it's, it's him saying this guy is just a guy, except he's interested in men. And then that's what makes him, that's what makes yeah, him a movie I, I, I mean, I wish the movie was more that, right? Yeah. Honestly, I know people like, people don't like to talk about the homophobia of JFK. Uh, a movie that I, to clarify, think is like one of the great American films, right? I fucking, yeah, th- that movie is a work of sheer genius. The that it is like dementedly homophobic is part of why it's a work of sheer genius. Well, that itself uh, is a complicated discussion because the movie yeah. like acknowledges its own homophobia. Exactly, like, that's what yeah. it is. Is that it's aware of its own homophobia as part of this like psychotic brain rot morass of that movie. I don't um, even know if like, I if wish... it's like part of the psychosis of the film or just oh, like, it is. It is. Or, no, but, uh, but when it gets brought up, it's like when it gets brought up in that film, um, which I rewatched fairly recently, just a few days ago a in perfect movie to talk about Oliver Stone. Um, when perfect it, when the homophobia movie. is brought up by Stacy Spacek's character, who we love, uh, yeah. uh, it's brought up in a way to kind of shock you as the viewer into being into into taking a step back because you are so seduced into the conspiracy theory by that point in the film that her um, her making the accusation of homophobia forces you as the viewer to take a step back and say to yourself, do I actually am I on board with this or um, is this guy losing it here? You know, you have to it, it forces you to actually like contend with the conspiracy theory that the film is presenting as people don't actually think about the actual conspiracy as laid out in the film jfk enough like (laughs) people just let it wash over them i think (laughs) yeah because the 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 secret trick of jfk uh if you actually sit down and like pay attention to everything they're saying is that uh the, the conspiracy doesn't make any sense uh, and I'm not saying that in like, a, well, no conspiracy could make any sense. I am saying Jim Garrison cannot actually figure out if he thinks Lee Harvey Oswald shot Kennedy or not. Yeah. I he think- keeps flip-flopping. Even in his like big climactic speech, he keeps flip-flopping. What's so interesting about it, and you know, I guess we're going to talk about JFK now, is that... I just want to talk about JFK. Is that the... The reasons why the reasons. okay, so the reasons why Jim Garrison thinks that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't kill JFK are so strong because he's like, it's the simple stuff of like, if he was actually standing here with the gun, why wouldn't he shoot at this location? Why did he choose to shoot over there? And like, it's humanly impossible for somebody to fire off that many rounds and the bullet like there must be more bullets like all that stuff makes perfect sense. But then you get then you get farther into it and Jim Garrison's trying to understand like why did any of this happen what did yeah. it actually accomplish um i would i i was watching jfk and i was watching the doors and i Great was movie. watching wall street and okay, movie. i was yeah there wall street is okay but where do you fall on stone well this is what i was gonna say yeah. is like i i appreciate more than anything stones just outgoingness to yeah. to just make a film about something that he that he feels strongly about and not think too hard about the arithmetic of narrative filmmaking that i think we have grown too accustomed to in recent years yeah. and by that i mean to say 
I think Stone used to. I'm not. He hasn't made a. He hasn't made a feature film in quite some time now. But during the 80s and yes. 90s, he used to just set out and making a film about a thing that he felt very strongly about, yes. and he didn't really care whether or not he was. He didn't. He didn't really care whether or not he was forcing people like into a certain way of thinking one way or another. He was, he just kind of believed in the interest itself of the subject matter that he was making the film about. And he seemed to just understand like, this is just interesting enough and people will watch a movie about this. Um, and we just, we don't have that nowadays. Yeah. That's uh, a very abstract way of yeah. talking about it. Um, but I think it's, it's similar to what I said, like his movie about the doors is so disinterested in trying to paint Jim Morrison as a uh, as uh, well, it's it's disinterested in, in uh, patronizing him uh, as a figure of the past and and just kind of just saying, like, this was an interesting life that this guy lived. I'm just going to make a movie about it. Yeah. And it's interesting enough on it in its own right that people will want to sit down and watch it. My take on Stone is that 90s Stone which I would say is the doors through any given Sunday. The doors, JFK, Nixon, uh, the war, was that war movie? Um, uh, so so not, not yeah. all these movies work, but doors, heaven and earth, JFK, yeah. Nixon, natural born killer, skip, skip that one. Natural born killers. <laughs> natural born killers you yeah. No, no, sorry. I mean, I'm just saying it's, it, it comes before Nixon. It's a yeah. perfect movie. Natural born killers, you turn any given Sunday. Not all those movies work. U-Turn in particular is kind of unwatchable. But that 90s window where he becomes this like psychotic maximalist, right? Where (laughs) he's just throwing every formal rule out the window and is just doing every like pure id idea he's ever had and throwing it on screen. Is I actually think one of like the best American filmmakers of all time. I think it's the biggest condemnation of Alexander is because those films look so specific and yes. alexander looks so boring for 99 percent of its runtime the problem with oliver stone is that everything before that 90s window and everything after that 90s window some of it's good some of it's bad but he's just a very boring prestige filmmaker who for some reason had this like brain melting run but like platoon doesn't even feel like that shit right wall street no. doesn't feel like that shit and then there are good movies I think World Trade Center is lovely, and I think it's lovely in its almost like Capra-esque like classicism. Uh, but that's not the same guy. I've like, never watched that film because I really- know I know the I've met oh. the man that the Michael Pena character is based oh, off of, and I've so just I found it. Um, obviously, I, I was I was young. I was very young when nine eleven happened. I was yeah. young when that movie came out. Um, that man was a member of my church that I went uh, to. He spoke to us on multiple occasions about his experience uh, during 9-11. Yeah. And I think just due to the proximity of how close I was to that event when it happened, I've yeah. strayed away from watching um, those films. But I, 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 I will say yeah. it, it, is a, it is a deeply lovely movie. And I think a movie that, weirdly would be taken more seriously if oliver stone hadn't directed it uh because i remember true i mean i f- w i think is uh a case w 
Dubby is a weird one because it's him trying to do Nixon again and kind of just not really sticking the landing. Uh, Because it's the exact same bit as Nixon. Have you seen Nixon? I have, yeah. Yeah, The Trick of Nixon, which is also one of my favorite movies of all time, a a masterpiece, is that The Trick of Nixon is that it takes, you know, such an obviously vilified historical figure and is like, can we make the sympathetic telling of his story? And it does, right? I think that's like the magic trick that movie pulls off. I also just love that movie because Nixon is famously my favorite president. Uh, because he's to clarify, there is there are no good US presidents except for maybe William Henry Harrison. They're all bad. Nixon's my favorite president because he's undeniably the most interesting president, right? That's probably true. Yeah. He's a fascinating figure. He oversees like the most interesting period in American history. The whole (laughs) why, even if you don't, even if you ignore Watergate, he's such a crazy, interesting figure. Highly recommend reading Rick Perlstein's Nixon, uh, Nixon land. Um, But W is, is him trying to do the same bit with Bush And maybe it's that he doesn't have the benefit of hindsight. Maybe it's that Bush just isn't as interesting, but he just kind of, it's okay, I think. I think the thing about W is that what it's saying about every other, um, like, cast of characters around George W. Bush is very, very interesting. But that film is not taken seriously because Oliver Stone directed it, which sounds oxymoronic to say. But I think just, like, as you were pointing out, that he becomes, like, the king of maximalism during the 90s that kind of cheapens his legitimization as a serious hollywood filmmaker uh in the 2000s and i think that i mean obviously this film w- was like a huge blow to his reputation as a director this um i i don't think we can like overstate how much of a bomb alexander i mean was i like, said yeah i said this movie ended um Colin Farrell's like career as a movie star because I think it did. He has leading roles after this. He has big leading roles after this, but the the year where he's going to be in six movies because they're just going to try to like give him every script that happens. Yeah, it, it, you you make a movie this big, uh, that you're playing a character this important, right? <laughs> in but also in this era which is like but i the, think that's also the failing of the movie oh it's the is failing like, of the movie but i'm saying <laughs> is that like the life of alexander the great like isn't actually that interesting yeah. when you look at it as a whole you make a movie this big with a director this big playing a character this big in an in like the end of the period where oscar movie and box office was still intertwined Right, because this is more years. I'm saying we're we're still we are still in that era, even if it's going to die out a few years after this. I get what you're saying. They they didn't know they didn't know at the time that that trend was going to die out. But I'm saying, and that movie bombs this hard with audiences and critics. (laughs) You're not getting taken seriously as a movie star, and it's like a three plus hour rated R. Movie yeah. that's this boring. It just nothing yeah. about it works, and it kills it. But I think it also. I'm sorry, it kills Stone's career too. You no, know? It, it truly it does. Um, yeah, his World last Trade movie Center, is Snowden, correct? Yeah. his last theat- his last uh, uh, narrative theatrical well, film was. Let me let me Snowden. run you through it. Yeah. Let me let me run you through the rest of his career. Right 
after this theatrically because he makes a bunch of documentaries all of which are really bad really strange Uh, documentaries yeah a lot of which are just him interviewing various leftist political figures and also putin a couple times um (laughs) this movie oliver stone always like i just say also like huge advocate for human growth hormone yeah and like the life extending uh uh characteristics of human growth hormone so this movie cost 150 million right mm-hmm. his next movie is world trade center which by design is a smaller movie um but only gets 60 for that million for that then he makes w which is him like returning to his 90s glory days 25 million dollar movie uh then Damn, he makes only 25 for w that's yeah, crazy. Insane. Then he has to make a sequel to his biggest <laughs> hit. He I've makes never seen Wall that. Street 2, a terrible movie, yeah. $70 million. Starring Shia LaBeouf, right? Then he literally just has to make a junkie action movie programmer with savages. <laughs> and then he fucking makes a Snowden movie that nobody sees, right? Like the era of Oliver Stone as like the grand epic filmmaker. The man has two Oscars, right? Like people, I think he has more because I think he as, also as has a director, screenwriting. Sorry. As yeah. a director, he has two Oscars. Yeah, as a screenwriter, he has more. But like he won director almost back to back. Right? There's like a five year window between his first and second best director wins. That would put him basically, listeners, if you don't know from Stone, he is like an Alfonso Cuarón, Alejandro González, and Yar to level, like mm. respected talent in the 80s going into this 90s psycho run jfk got a best picture nomination i think up until any given sunday (laughs) he is probably in the conversation of the top five most important Uh, american filmmakers undeniably you know what any given sunday was by the way a fucking hit (laughs) well yeah i mean i've i've spoken about it extensively maybe not on the podcast about how i think it's like i think it's like maybe the most accurate portrayal of american masculinity it's it's amazing i mean have i ever given you my hot take on any given sunday no i don't think so it is my firm belief that any given sunday is like almost like a fork in the road for oliver stone where it's it's his michael bay picture right he he makes it's his Michael Bay picture, but it's also better than any movie Michael Bay has ever. That's untrue. That's, that's untrue. It's, that's it, it, it's about as good as most Michael Bay movies. <laughs> it's which better is to it's, say it's great. It is heads and shoulders above any but, Michael Bay. But movie it's ever. like it's like a reach into a world where he's one of the great like psychopathic blockbuster filmmakers, right? Where <laughs> yeah. like it's him, it's him transferring into this fucking Tony Scott Michael Bay, like pure vibes mode. And he could have stayed in that run. It probably would have been better for his career if he was just like, give me junkie programmers that I will direct the hell out of. I, uh, cool. I, in, uh, the first game I ever started in high school in football, yeah. I, I, I couldn't sleep that night. Um, yeah. cause I was really nervous about Stressful. it. And I, I, uh, I woke up, <laughs> I woke up at, or I like got out of bed at like six in the morning and I watched any given Sunday. <laughs> and then I, and I proceeded to rush for like seven and a half yards of carry, which is, is a pretty insane stat to anybody okay. who understands football. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know wait, what he said wait. to, um, Salvatore Totino on the first day of filming. And what, what did he say? He said, welcome to Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he said. I want to read. I <laughs> Oliver Stone, Vietnam veteran, veteran, said that to his cinematographer on the set of his professional football movie. The other thing I'll say about Stone 
as a filmmaker. And like I said, someone who has made truly great movies. But early on this week, we were talking about this movie in a group chat with the guy who's supposed to be on the guest of this episode. And you mentioned while we were having that conversation that you were watching The Untouchables. You were just watching The Untouchables. No, I was watching JFK. Oh, I thought you were watching The Untouchables. No. Yeah, okay, I didn't I want to correct from... you. I didn't want to uh, correct you in the moment, but I well, was watching JFK. Yeah. I was like, why is he watching The Untouchables? Well, I'm <laughs> stupid. I saw a still from JFK and I thought about The Untouchables, but that's the analogy I want to He's make. He's dressed the same in, in yeah. those movies. So, yeah. I said in this chat, that I think the truly greatest dig against Stone as an artist is that I don't think his bad movies are very interesting. Do you understand what I mean there? I think when he misses, he doesn't miss in a way that leaves us interesting. And to compare him to Brian De Palma, someone he has obviously worked with in the past, because the thing that first makes Stone really is that he writes Scarface. A movie I don't particularly care for. Oliver Stone has probably, on balance, made more movies I love and movies that I like more than Brian De Palma has. But at the end of the day, any given Brian De Palma movie, even the really bad ones, and I've seen the really bad ones, there's so much to think about in those movies. When he misses, his misses are fascinating. A mid-level Oliver Stone movie leaves you saying, like, huh, that was interesting. And I think that's the demarcator of a truly interesting filmmaker is that Brian De Palma is so pure that <laughs> it's gonna, that, 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 that anything he makes is going to be complex. Right. Yeah. And I think stone just has ideas. And I think there's, do you get the distinction there between having the spirit and having the idea? I do. But you were saying that prevents stone from being a great, that I, I would say he's totality. not a great filmmaker, even though he's made like five perfect masterpieces. Four. He's made four perfect masterpieces. I I I would say I would say that he is a great filmmaker because I think especially those films in the 90s, we still see the effects of those films today sure. in films that are being made today. And I think sure. that is probably what makes him a great filmmaker. Sure. I every think, every musician yeah. biopic of the last 25 yes. years owes a lot to or 30 years owes a lot yeah. to the doors um yeah i i think you gotta have more than just that brief window i don't know he doesn't strike me as someone who it's has not that brief though we're talking about like seven films we're talking about like eight films we're talking about eight films in a uh almost 50 year body of work oliver stone starts making movies in 1977 and his last movie came out last year Right. And I do think yeah, you have, yeah, even though, so. even though famously every fiction filmmaker who wants to be a documentarian, whose name is not Anya Zvarda is bad at making documentaries. <laughs> and uh, Spike Lee, Spike Lee's made some really good documentaries. He's also made some real stinkers there too. Like you don't necessarily Todd Haynes has want... made some good documentaries. Oh, Todd Haynes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Has he made more than the one? I want to say yes, but I I don't know for sure. As as I am a relative Todd Haynes hater. You are, uh, which I but I don't understand. His, <laughs> it's, a, it's a real mind boggle for me. His, his Velvet Underground documentary is uh, like incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like him to keep making documentaries. Just one of my favorite filmmakers by far. Yeah, I'm not Probably someone I particularly care for. Uh, has made two movies I adore that aren't that movie. And one movie I like a lot, and then a bunch of stuff that I think is just kind of forgettable. What are the two that you adore? 
uh, Superstar and Dottie get spanked. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and then I really, really like Poison. I like Poison a lot. I, I thought Poison was going to be one of the two that you would do. Yeah, I mean, no, Superstar, Superstar, I, I, I get. Um, yeah. I can't deny that. Velvet Underground? I, I Velvet, Velvet Goldmine? Gold no. I would think you boring. would like a lot. Boring. By that point, he's boring. He's lost yeah. it. He's making movies for straight people. <laughs> Sorry. So <laughs> okay. Carol's not a real movie. Uh, Far From Heaven's a borderline war crime. Safe's decent. Oh my god, Safe is terrifying. It's fine. Not for me. He just there's he they're so antiseptic. There's no soul to Todd Haynes' movies. They're I yeah. disagree. They're movies <laughs> made by a robot. I uh, disagree. He is not my least favorite new quick. It's a very cinema. interesting robot that's gonna yeah, set sure. out and make safe and Carol. My 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 take on the big three of the new queer cinema is that Todd Haynes is boring, but like functionally competent. Uh, Gus Van Zandt should not be allowed to touch a camera. Uh, and Greg Araki is maybe the best filmmaker of all time. That's oh, how I fall on the Holy Trinity. Do you like My Own Private Idaho? No, it's not good. I, I have complicated feelings about that movie good. also. Yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of just inert. Um, I like stuff in My Own Private Idaho. I actually think the closer that movie gets to Shakespeare, the like the closer that movie gets to brilliance. The the middle chunk of that movie that is the Henry ad, I yeah. think is really fucking good. <laughs> it's everything else I don't care for. Elephant is maybe the worst movie ever made. Truly, a truly opinion I hold. What what's that other one? Sea of Trees. I got Buddha. You couldn't can. pay me to watch Sea of Trees. <laughs> what was the last? Hold on. I got to pull this up. And then we actually have to talk about Alexander because <laughs> we've been going for an hour. I'll, I'll go over the plot synopsis right now. So Alexander well, the Great, he's born in Macedonia. His his father's Philip, played by Val Kilmer. He's got one eye. Um, Philip hates his mother, who's played by Angelina Jolie, who's kind of like a witch lady. Alexander, Philip dies. Alexander takes over as king. He conquers like all of Greece and all of the Mediterranean, Egypt. He sets off into Asia. He conquers Persia. And then he takes a Persian wife. And then he tries to conquer India, but he fails. And then he returns to Babylon where he dies of seemingly alcohol poisoning, probably like kidney failure or something like that. I don't know. That's the movie. Like but, that's literally the movie. But Did I miss? He was in you, love you, with his friend. You missed, you missed an important part, which is that the movie then ends on the note that actually he was assassinated. Uh, but, but that no, information no, no, has been lost. No, it doesn't though. It, it doesn't, does. Though. No, it doesn't though. Because Ptolemy straight up says he no, killed Ptolemy, him. No, Ptolemy. No, Ptolemy. Ptolemy. He's so okay. So Ptolemy is um uh one of Alexander's generals. I think general. I don't know. It's never said outright. Yeah. Uh, he inherits Egypt um from Alexander when Alexander dies. So he yes. becomes the pharaoh of Egypt. Um, he's played by Anthony Hopkins in old age, who narrates the film. Yeah. The rest of the film is played in flashback. He's giving his memoirs about his experience with Alexander to a scribe who is going to uh, catalog these memoirs in the library of Alexandria in Egypt. Um, At the end of the film, when Ptolemy is saying that there are rumors that Alexander was assassinated, he says, the truth is we killed him. But then he says, I think he says we killed him because we we didn't. I think he says like we killed him because we never stopped him from killing himself or something like that. No, they're saying I think that's that what's they, implied. No, they're saying that they killed him because he would have destroyed the empire. 
Yeah, but I don't think no. I I don't think that he he doesn't say he doesn't say they killed him as in like they poisoned him. He says no, like he literally they knew, does say they, no, 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 no. He said no, no. He says this is the way I saw it. Is like no. he says like they saw that he was killing himself with alcohol and they just let it happen because no, um, I I think yeah. they clearly poisoned him because that's why it ends with the like. He's like, the whole idea is he's like, I've kept this secret, but now I am putting it in my memoirs, right? And then the movie ends with like, and then the memoirs were destroyed in the I'm going to watch the end of the film. I'm going to watch the end of the film. Do right. not watch the end of I the film. Because I own it on Amazon now. I, I hate um, that I own this movie on Amazon. Yeah. I wish Amazon would just like, so like, we don't own the rights to this movie. Wh- whatever. We, we, don't, we don't need to settle this. It's fine. Corner's <laughs> wrong. Um, I'm not wrong. Here's the other big problem <laughs> oh, with, I, gotta, I have with I this movie. Relog into my account here. Here's the other big problem I have with this movie, despite besides the fact that I think it's just vacuous, right? Listeners, if you have not seen Alexander, uh, what Connor just did to you is the experience of watching Alexander because <laughs> everything happens off screen in this three and a half hour movie. Do you get what I'm saying, Connor? Yeah, no, yeah. It will just be like, and then it's, he conquered. It is it is Anthony Hopkins saying, and then he killed all these people because his father died. And then it's and like then, a yeah. scene of him and his generals like sitting in a throne room being bored. And then Anthony Hopkins is like, and then he killed some more people. And then it's another scene of Colin Farrell <laughs> and his generals just like hanging around and flirting with each other. Like there's an interesting version of this movie that's like the back rooms version of the big epic, right? Yeah. That's not the movie Oliver Stone made because the stuff that actually happens on screen. If, the, if you're going to elide all like the cool, interesting, dramatic, sellable action movie stuff, like you have to give me something that's equally as interesting. I would be fine with it if this was like fucking Michael Clayton, right? Just like tensions and backstabbings and conspiracies and it was just like electric i wouldn't care that i'm not seeing the action i care that that's i'm not seeing of, the dude the, the craziest thing is that it's kind of what the promise of this movie is because yeah. you're taking oliver stone who like so if you're thinking of alexander as, as like we don't actually know what the cause of his death was so there's yeah. kind of a conspiracy about it he could there could be some jfk woven into I mean, it and but he's also like an enigmatic leader like cultural and social leader of the time there's a bit of jim morrison woven in there it could be some of that in here like that's the thing <laughs> none is of like, it J- jfk yeah. jfk is as long as this movie is and jfk is just people reading exposition to you for three and a half hours JFK, and like I said, jfk moves like a freight train it moves like a freight train but if you yeah. actually think about what what connor what happens in that movie people just read like <laughs> like conspiracy theory stuff to each other yeah. and they they're just telling stuff to each other that they already know so it can be conveyed to the audience right but again one of the most perfect movies ever made because it's so exciting there's nothing to this movie and then i'm just sitting there being like well why are you like skipping the stuff that makes him the great right like shouldn't that be enticing to me because if you're not going to give me anything else I yeah. kind of want to see the junkier action movie version of this. Which sounds like what was his intention to make this movie in the first place because he pitched uh, Rodrigo Prieto on making this movie while they were filming a, 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 a documentarian um, uh, interview with... Do you remember the name of who they were interviewing I in the Middle don't. East? In, Is I it Arafat? Think, 
2002. I think it was Arafat. They were interviewing him in the Middle East in 2002. And while they were working on that interview, Oliver Stone handed him the script and was like, isn't it crazy that this stuff was happening here thousands of years ago? And I think I think part of his intention in making the film was the fact that like the 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 imperialism of America venturing into the same territory that alexander the great ventured in and like what are the differences like what makes him great versus like what's making like what we're doing problematic but it's not expressed in the film in any way whatsoever well i will say i think a a, a big problem with it if that is the take because that's a very interesting take is that this movie has like such a retrograde orientalist view of asia as like a land of barbarians that needs to be civilized um yeah but like but Alexander doesn't really but, have that view. That's the that's the interesting yeah, thing about the, it. But yeah. the movie does, which means I don't buy it when Alexander does. The movie have doesn't. that view, or does Ptolemy have that view? Who's the I narrator think the, of no, the movie? No, the movie does. Yeah. Think about how they're shot. Uh, what's that? What's that one quote on the Wikipedia page? Hold on, I think you put it in our dossier too. But I think this is really interesting. Okay, this is from uh, Kaveh Farouk who is a uh, Greek historian uh, uh, specializing in Iranian and Persian history. Uh, And this is what he has to say about this movie, which I think is interesting. Greek forces are typically shown as very organized, disciplined, and so on. And what's very disturbing is when the so-called Persians are shown confronting the Macedonians, you see them turbaned. Turbans are not even a Persian item. Their armies are totally disorganized. What is not known is that the Persians actually had uniforms, marched in discipline, used music. Right. And that, but that is true. Right. Like for all that this movie wants to like paint this tension between, you know, the quote unquote civilized Greeks who think of themselves as more civilized than the barbarians and the societies they're conquering. And this idea that Alexander is like part of the reason he butts heads with the rest of Macedonian society is that he wants to integrate these cultures into the empire rather than subjugate them. That's like a a textual thing the movie says, but how these Asian nations are shot is so just like weird, gross, creepy foreigners whose ways are not normal to us, whose perspectives are never like aligned two steps away from 300 to be perfectly honest like it's never actually yeah i was gonna offensive. say that is true to an extent it's not as bad as other yeah, films it's it's never yeah. actively seems like it's thinking uh, that it is in the way that a movie like 300 feels like it's actively saying this is gross i don't think this movie Oliver Stone is maybe ever actively saying that, but it has this like orientalist, exotic, weird energy to them that defangs any sense of, I think, the movie being an interesting parallel to contemporary Western interference in the same region. And again, I'm, I'm hitting, that is I hit, something. I hit the point. Wait, Cole, I hit the point in the movie. <sighs> Ptolemy says, the truth is we did kill him. Yes. There's a pause. There's a pause. <laughs> Give me a second here. <laughs> By silence, we cons- we consented. Mm. because we couldn't go on what by Aries did we have to look forward to but to be discarded in the end like Cletus after all this time to give away our wealth to Asian sycophants we despise which is you know kind of mixing the races in harmony he scoffs oh he talked of these things but wasn't it really about Alexander and another population ready to obey him see I'm I sorry. never believed in his dream None of us did. 
that's the truth of his life. Yeah. The dreamers exhaust us. I, I, I'm sorry. I read that as him saying we conspired to have him assassinated. Um, I guess maybe. Uh, but that, okay, that that I say is like my big problem is like when I'm searching for what is this movie about? Is this movie about that dream? Right, that literal thing that was just said. This idea that he was trying to build this pan-racial, pan-cultural empire, and the ruling class wouldn't let that stand. You can tell me that's what the movie's about, Oliver, but that's not how you're shooting the movie. That's not how you're writing the movie. That's not how you're editing the movie. That is not the story you are actually telling. The story you also you cast an actually- Afro Latin woman as a Persian, yes, princess, yes, <laughs> and you give her nothing to do but if that's the story you want to tell then that's the movie you actually have to make and that is not the movie you made the movie you made is not a even really close it is a it's colonialist movie of, of yeah. subjugation right yeah no i'm agree i'm in agreement yeah i know you're in agreement yeah. i know you're in agreement I, I i'm saying this out loud for the listeners uh the india stuff is almost the worst where india is depicted as like straight up a land of monsters uh India is depicted as the first uh, realm of hell. Yeah, which yeah. again, I think there is something again in a in a better movie. The idea that the Indian subcontinent is so foreign to them in ecology, and that they're like, if you've never seen an elephant before, you're going to see an elephant and be like, "What hell beast is this?" Right? And if you're if you're from Greece and you walk into India and in, in monsoon yeah. season, I do understand this sense that like this is a this is a monstrous land that we need to flee. That would be a more interesting idea to depict India in that sense. <laughs> they if also the movie- think that they also think that monkeys are a tribe of little men. I yeah. love that line. I love that line when they're like. This is a savage land, you know, populated by hairy men who fight us from the trees. I'm like, who don't speak. That's cool. But the problem is when you're depicting all of Asia in this like mysterious barbaric sense, that doesn't land as a contrast. It just lands as like a racist depiction of India. Whereas if, if I think because they're so rarely actually engaging with actual human beings in India, I do think if like Mongolia and Kazakhstan and Persia and all the other lands he handled were treated better, India could land as this weird contrast, which I think is what the movie is trying to to nail. It just doesn't nail it because it's not a real movie. This is the worst movie we've covered. Well, it just has to decide annoying to go off what you were saying. It just it's a film that made no decision at no point in time to decide what it wanted to be about. Yeah, And it's like, you can make this movie about uh, a man like Icarus who's pushing too far. And yes. he's pushing people too far against their will. They don't want to be a part of it. It leads to his downfall. You that's can make this the movie, movie I want to see. That's the movie I Personally. would want to see too. Um, you can make this movie about, again, like you could make this movie solely about the the conflict of civilization of different cultures and different societies coming into to contact with each other and how as human beings we are our first response is usually towards violence towards trying to conquer one another rather than to understand each other for who we are you can make a movie about that that's not what oliver stone decided to do here nor did he decide to make a movie about a man who was like icarus who pushed too far and it led to his downfall although i think the, the film itself thinks that's what it's about um 
and I think I, I I'm sorry, I know we disagree here, but I think because the movie has just this emptiness at its core and has no understanding of what it wants to be, I think Colin is left being asked to fill in that gap. And I don't think and I don't even necessarily think that's his job, but I think that's the job no, he's been I asked. I think that's an impossible task. I think it's yeah. an impossible task. And that's why I don't think this is performance is good because he has nothing to grab onto, nothing to build off of. The I'm sorry, like I said, there are two good performances in this movie. He does not share much screen time with them. They mostly bounce off the child actor playing young Alexander. And the I scenes think... where he's playing off them at the end, I think are also good, right? Like that's the stuff that's working the best for me. I think Anthony Hopkins gives a really good performance. No. <laughs> yeah. I the scene I just read from, at one point he gets legitimately choked up while he's talking about Alexander. And to me, I'm like, man, Anthony Hopkins really got in the mind of this guy you... who is reflecting on his former friend and how he let him down. And Do I'm just know... like, God, if you just put Anthony Hopkins in every movie, you get a good performance out of it. Um, Do you know the NAR story? No, I don't I don't think so. This is apparently something that happened on Thor, I believe, where someone, maybe it was Chris Hemsworth, maybe it was Kenneth Branagh, saw that he had like written NAR uh, on a on a page. Like he was like, he was like annotating a script, right? Yeah, and he had yeah. written like NAR next to a monologue and they were like, what does that stand for? And he said, no acting required. Because uh, <laughs> he knows that he could just show up and just like do the Anthony Hopkins thing. And that's yeah. what the movie, but- to his credit, I will say this, because I think Anthony Hopkins is quite good in the Thor movies. That is him understanding what the movie is asking of him, right? And he's meeting he, the movie at its level. He is um, like the epitome of an acting professional. I don't think he's yes. uh, Truly one it. of my favorite actors. I do think yeah. this is a no acting required performance. He is phoning it in. And Dude, I'm you telling you, like, I'm telling you, by the, by the, the second time you watch this movie. By the final cut. And watch the end, watch his ending like monologue of the movie. And you're like, wow, what a performance by Anthony. I also, I I just have so much resentment for that character because as I said, he is mostly the narrator. Oh, he sucks. Yeah. Well, no, it's that the function of the narration is to like, skip over all the interesting stuff in the story <laughs> he so literally like, i want like at one point i think it's after no no no. it's uh alexander is trying to rally his men to go invade india and they're like no we want to go home like you're just gonna kill us like you kill cletus and he he literally like massacres like 50 of his own men who like stepped out against him in and then touch. in comes in the in comes in the anthony hopkins monologue that goes and I know no other general who would have acted differently in this situation yeah. as like to justify what Alexander did. And it's like uh, a movie this long should not need this much voiceover to like hold no. the structure of the story together. No. That being said. Well, he, that's a, it's a main issue of this movie is yeah. that it is trying to explain the entire conquest yes. of Alexander, which means that you have to have, you have to have Anthony Hopkins explain in voiceover yes. that Alexander conquered all of Greece before the movie actually officially begins with him in Persia. 75 minutes into this movie, uh, we get Anthony Hopkins saying, and he had conquered the known world. And I'm like, there are two hours and 15 minutes to go. Why has he already conquered the known world? I know he's going to keep going, but that's not a good way to pace this movie. 
that being said, Anthony Hopkins is truly like, I think one of the best actors alive. Uh, I, I don't know that I've ever truly disliked him in a movie. I just kind of got to hold him to a higher bar. So I don't know that I want to say that this is a good performance per se, because I know what he can do. That is true. Uh, he's not like we, annoying. We get to talk about him again later in this run of Colin Farrell's career. So let's you want to do, so you're saying you want to save the Rushmore. Yes. Yes. For yes. solace. I do, yeah. That's fine. I don't think it's going to be a particularly interesting Rushmore. Uh, Hopkins, we get to cross about. We get to talk about uh, Christopher Plummer like two weeks from now. Also, Hopkins, a Titanic actor, one of our best, phoning it in in this movie. Sure, whatever. Uh, no, I think the good performances in this movie are Val and uh, Angelina as his parents. I I also agree. I think I I so. If we were going to do Connor's Writers Workshop on how to Let's fix do this. Let's do it. I we think need a theme you... song. We need a theme song. <laughs> I'll work on it, maybe. <laughs> uh, I think you you cut the stuff with the middle age um, Alexander out. And by middle age, I mean like the the 12-year-old Alexander. Yeah. Cut that stuff out of the movie where he he uh, breaks the horse. Uh, he might, might do something else. I can't remember. Cut that out. Keep the stuff with Colin playing 18-year-old Alexander. Yes, um, and the dynamic with his mother and his father, which I think is re- actually like genuinely effective and, and pretty interesting, um, that his father has taken a second wife, and his mother is concerned that the second wife's child will will succeed Alexander for the throne at the time of Philip's passing, um, and she is concerned for their own safety that that they will most likely be executed if that was to happen because they will be an inherent threat to the throne. Uh, I think all of that stuff is very interesting. Um, and I think you can make like, yeah. you can build a movie around that. I think what you do I, is you intercut those flashbacks. You start with Alexander hitting the Hindu Kush and making the decision to push into India. Okay. Because that is when his conquest actually becomes interesting. That is yeah. when the men start saying, we want to go home. We don't want to keep pushing farther east. Like, this is a fool's errand. This is not something that we're interested in doing. And I think you intercut his reluctance to become king because he believes that his mother was complicit in his father's assassination with his own failings to listen to his men as he pushes into India. And I think you build a really interesting film around those two dynamics. Yeah. I mean, again, but that's a movie that has an idea, right? That's a movie that has like structured itself around a thematic purpose. Again, if you're Um, making a movie about Bush era America, it is interesting to take daddy thing. Yes. It is interesting to take the son of a prior leader and his own thirst to go on a military campaign in the East. Yeah. I, I I can't is think that, of like a better yeah. parallel than that. Is, you know, Does the theatrical cut maintain the structure of the longer cuts? From what I can understand, the biggest difference between the two cuts that I watch is that the theatrical cut begins outright with a child, Alexander. Like it begins with Anthony Hopkins saying like, I'm going to yeah. tell you the story of Alexander the Great. And then it cuts to... Um, I think it's like three-year-old Alexander while Philip attempts to rape uh, Olympia, right? Is his mother, which happens like 30 minutes into the ultimate cut. Yeah. And it also happens like 30 minutes into the final cut. Cause the final cut begins with their battle in Persia. It it, it starts with a big action scene. I think just to 
get people in more. A this is actually idea. this is actually a really interesting like difference between the ultimate and the final cut and the theatrical cut. Ultimate final is that, yeah. I'll just talk about the final cut because that's the one that I watched. Yeah, that's the right. final I, cut. Like I said, I just think the ultimate cut is like slightly tighter. I don't think there's any actual yeah. real differences. It's just pacing. The final cut begins, and I, I'm from what I understand, the ultimate cut too, from what you just said, begins with the battle between the Macedonian Greek army and the Persian army um, under the guise of Alexander is avenging his father's assassination, which yeah. they uh, believe was put into order by the Persian king um, Darius. It is. And it, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's an all right battle scene. It's uh, a like, very long battle battle yeah. scene with and you have no reason to care like you that's you're you're, you're on such a bad foot with this movie from the jump because it's like it gives you a bunch of voiceover gobbledygook and then just like throws you into a battle scene and you're like you're completely unmoored well in the ultimate cut are there subtitles that say like this is the macedonian east this yes. is the macedonian center okay yes. in the theatrical cut i don't think those subtitles are there. I'm not surprised. And it becomes it you just can't understand what's happening during these battle scenes yeah. because those subtitles aren't there. But the theatrical cut does not begin with that battle sequence. The theatrical cut begins with again three-year-old Alexander while his father attempts to rape his mother, and then it cuts to like nine to twelve-year-old Alexander being taught by Aristotle. Um I don't even remember what Aristotle teaches them because it's useless. It doesn't mean anything. Can, I, can um, I do a, a quick fix on this movie real quick? Well, wait, wait, let me, let me, let me just say the, the problem is by that point, you already understand that Alexander didn't really like his father very much. And then it cuts to this bat. And then it cuts to Anthony Hopkins saying his father was assassinated and Alexander went to avenge his father by conquering all these neighboring lands to go fight the Persians. But when you're watching the theatrical cut, you're just like, why would he do that? Yeah, Because he didn't like his dad. It's a lot more interesting for the way that the final cut and the ultimate cut play out where you see the battle and then you learn that he didn't like his dad. And then you are trying to understand how he used just his relationship to his father and as a manner to justify this expedition eastward. Um, yeah, that is like a genuinely know, just... better difference that the final cut has from the theatrical but cut. but i i watch this and i just like i i i like i said the movie starts and i'm unmoored right i've already kind of lost a little and once you lose yeah. me this nothing in this movie is going to get me back in and i feel like if i if i i feel like th the way you're describing the final cut just makes me care a little more uh can i just do a quick fix on this movie that i think makes this movie like two percent better <laughs> yeah go for it uh if plumber and hopkins switch roles because another yes, thing yes. this movie annoys yes. me with is the understanding that i'm not gonna you're gonna drop hopkins right at the front and then i'm not gonna get as much hopkins as i want throughout the whole movie whereas if like hopkins keeps popping up a handful of times uh i'm a little more excited and that's not disrespectful to plumber but like I don't know if I feel like you want one to be like the wise mentor figure and one to narrate like plumber narrates, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I like Hopkins is Aristotle is good casting that you're leaving on the table. This is such a bad movie. It's such a, <laughs> such bad, a bad movie. movie. Here's here's my thing about validating. I wish though. Dan was here. I, I wish, wish Dan, Dan was here because I, I want to hear a case for the movie. Yeah. Like I genuinely want to hear somebody explain here's, to me why the movie's not that bad. Here's what here's the thing about Fallon Angelina though in these flashback scenes. Because I know you said you think they're the stronger scenes in the movie. I don't necessarily think they're better scenes than the rest of the movie i think it's val and angelina i think they're doing all the That's heavy lifting because they both understand that this movie should be tasteless that this movie is to some degree about like the decadence of ancient ruling cultures yeah and they're giving it like a trashiness that boosts the energy level and gives fucking colin farrell something to play off of um and like i don't think either of these are like great performances but they're having fun fun and they're fun to watch just like vamp and overact uh and the movie like considerably just gets other thing of this movie is it's just so sluggish and monotonous that it gets like a jolt of energy whenever these two hams are hamming it up on screen there's also there's also something about there's something fun about the idea of like by 2004 you're looking at hollywood and you're like we never fulfilled the promise of val kilmer And we we never fulfilled the promise of him. And now we have Colin Farrell, who's like almost very similar to Val Kilmer and how he can be used in movies. And it's like the passing of the torch and like a a gesture to be like, do better. (laughs) What do you think about Val Kilmer as an actor? I think, well, I don't think of him very often. I don't Um, I mean, obviously he's in my beloved Heat. And he is in your he's the heat. great foil to Tom Cruise and Top Gun. He famously um, has the best line in Heat, uh, a conversation we've had before. I know you don't agree. You know, I think Tom Sizemore has the best line. I know I you think, think Al Tom Sizemore. I think Al Pacino has the eight best lines in Heat. Um, no, no, Val Kilmer. No, but he's great. He's he, he Kilmer, is good in Heat. Uh, Val Kilmer is the best line in Heat. <laughs> Need the run side success um, for their man. He's way less interesting as Bruce Wayne than Michael Keaton. He's is. really bad. I like that movie a lot, and I think he's really bad in it. Um, he's just pretty boring. He's, like, he's really, really good as Jim Morrison. In the he's kind of an object that needs to be used more than he is like a truly interesting actor. And I know yeah. that sounds mean I, to say to someone who's dying right now, but like, if, well, if, if we're going to talk about that, for me, for me, it's harder to. Like in Top Gun Maverick, it's harder. It's for me personally, it is harder for me to contend with an actor who is still alive, but not physically able in the manner that I know them to be when I watched their earlier films than it is to contend with an actor who has passed away and left us behind. I know that no films like that yeah. no future films can can be made. Yeah. With them. It is it that like that part of Top Gun Maverick is brutal in ways I, that top gun maverick is not like deserving of having i don't that know how aspect i feel about film. it i really i, I don't know how i feel about I still it don't know how i feel about either it. i'm happy that val kilmer like he seems to have genuinely wanted to be a part of the movie and that's why he is in the film i'm i'm happy that he had that opportunity i'm happy that they were able to give him a voice when he he cannot speak um right now uh but it's just so difficult to see him in that state and to know what he's going through and what he has been going through for the last few years 
here's the thing about Val, though. When I say he's like an object that needs to be used well, I do literally almost mean that in like the very little, like he's so beautiful. You need, you kind of need to put him in there and like let him go and just radiate. And like people have gotten like really great performances out of him, like Michael Mann and Heat. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot about, I just watched, I wasn't even thinking about Alexander when I watched this, but a few days ago, I watched uh, Wonderland, which is the John Holmes biopic he made. Uh, which is a total disaster of a movie, an interesting <laughs> movie. Um, yeah. At times, a very good movie. It's just completely incoherent and a complete mess. The thing about his performance as John Holmes is that it is completely electric, right? Like, he's so exciting to watch on screen and he's so charming and he's so dangerous and he's so kind of like unpredictable and never at any second does he feel like john holmes he john holmes has such a particular charisma to him that val kilmer doesn't even seem like he's ever seen john holmes talk he's he is more seems like he's doing an impression of Wahlberg in boogie nights than he does the actual guy. And that's what I'm saying about him as like an object you need to use is that even when he's completely miscast and seemingly like completely misunderstanding the assignment of playing a real person in a movie, you're still just like, man, fucking Val Kilmer. Like he's, he's so exciting. He's so fun. But like, is, is there more than that than just like, oh, he's so fun. Like Alexander is a hard movie to gauge that on because the the bar is so low that you're just like yes thank you be a ham. Uh, I don't know man it's it's a weird oh a, a weird legacy he's left behind a weird career. I really want to watch that documentary he made. Uh, yeah, that just sounds I mean, very interesting. Like I was saying, like how Colin is almost here to like fulfill the promise of what we thought Val Kilmer would be. It's like he never. I, I know there are rumors of like him being difficult to work with in the early 90s and mid 90s that kind of derailed yeah. him a little bit and getting cast in certain projects. Um, but yeah, he was never necessarily like given the opportunity to have the movie star career that I think you would have thought well, he would have. No, after seeing no, because he he did, especially in like the late like post Batman post heat he yeah. does get a lot of leading roles it's just that all those movies bomb and no one remembers them like that is the thing about val kilmer is like no he did he did in fact have like a 15-year movie star run truly actually like after top so. gun he really did like have a 15-year movie star run it's just that none of those movies stick and the ones that stick are the ones where he has smaller roles because those movies are good like that's the thing is that no one He's never going to elevate a bad movie, I guess is what I'm saying about that. Uh, and you kind of need to yeah. do that. He doesn't elevate this. He's just fun to watch in this. Angelina, on the other hand, another person I don't think of a lot and someone who's weird because her like her level of fame so outstrips her actual body of work in a way that like there's no comparable actor these days, but it's, it's just like anytime you watch her and something, all oh, right, she's, she's a fucking movie star. She's a pure movie star, right? She's just yeah. undeniably exciting to watch on screen. She always makes interesting choices. She's just radiates charisma. I love that. She's just got snakes fucking around her all the time in this movie. It's so cool. 
she's only given one bad performance, I think, in her career, and you can't hold her against it because it's Beowulf and it's not actually her performance. I'm trying to think of uh, if I think she was bad in anything. When she bad, I'm sorry. No, but she. I, I know mean, you hate. I know you hate a certain movie that you don't want to go on the record as saying you hate, uh, and you're wrong. And she's great at it. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh. I'll bleep it. I'll bleep it. It's not, it's not, it, she's not the, it's the, um, um, uh, what's his name? The director of that film. The, a, a great director. <laughs> yeah. A, a great director, but n- not in that movie. <laughs> not when we're talking about that movie. Um, like I think Changeling is like a complete disaster and she's like good in Changeling. Like is she's she... good in, in most, I mean, she's like the best performance in the good shepherd. She, uh, I, I don't know if she's the best performance because I love The Good Shepherd. I don't know if you've ever talked about this. I think that's a masterpiece. She's incredible in The Good Shepherd. Uh, you know what movie Angelina Jolie is like? I almost gave her an Oscar nomination for. She's so fucking good in it. Please don't say Eternals. Eternals. <laughs> Have you seen Eternals? Why did I Have know you were going Eternals? She's so, she's fucking extraordinary in internals she is that movie is a fucking yeah. disaster also though. i with every day that passes i'm like no is eternals maybe disaster. do i want to rewatch eternals just because it's but it's a disaster in a way studio tentpole movies aren't right where it's it's making big dumb choices and it's committing to its big dumb choices and it actually has like an artistic point of view and like a friend of mine who walked out of Eternals was like, I have to give it a thumbs up. And I'm like, how do you give me a thumbs up? And he's like, it's a three hour movie about robots debating if they want to kill God. Like, <laughs> I'm going to give it a thumbs up. And like, actually, I will say this. Uh, I don't feel this way after having watched Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which is quite a good movie. But like, before I saw Guardians of the Galaxy 3, with how dire every other post-Endgame Marvel movie was, I was like, but Eternals at least is something, you know. None of these is other it, movies are is something. It through, is it though? I think it is. It's is definitely. It? It's better is than it? Nomadland. It's definitely better is than it? Nomadland. Uh, false. But she's so good in Not it. True. She's so good in it. Come she on. is good in it. I, I the love thing that about Angel- the thing about Angelina Jolie is she's really not in that many movies. That's what that's what I was saying is like that's the thing about her is she, if you she's really if you look at her filmography there's she really has not been in that many movies and the movies and that she is in most of the time she's not the lead of the movie given this is what I was saying is given how like earth shatteringly famous she is mm-hmm. the the body of work does not necessarily back that up and that's not so much a quality thing as it is like a quantity and like box office thing. Even if like the Maleficent movies are huge hits and like the Kung Fu Panda movies are huge hits, she, she doesn't really have the, the the career behind her that you'd expect. It is just that she is such a public figure. And it is most that she's a political figure. Have you seen any of the movies she's made? the bad one uh i've seen unbroken unbroken yeah i find it very interesting because i've seen none of the movies it's really not that bad it's just like it is known as the bad one of the i just find it super interesting that she made four she's made four she's made four well yeah that's what i'm saying she's made four movies i find it very interesting that she has from all accounts made three 
super dry fact-based prestige movies about real like real life historical atrocities that like and then, aligns with her political viewpoint and, and then, then one movie about her marriage made, falling apart she <laughs> made like a two-hour yeah. long apparently almost dialogue like dialogue free improvised m- reflection on her marriage falling apart that everyone i know is like quiet masterpiece and i've never actually seen i just think it's interesting that she has like this one art film tucked in the middle there that bombed i've always had the desire to watch it i've just never had the excuse yeah, to turn it on i'm worried it's more interesting as an idea than as a movie i've always had the desire to watch in the yeah. land of blood and honey and yeah. they kill my father as well i just those the only I reason don't. i've watched unbroken was because i was in be- i was in between classes in undergrad and it was on hbo and I, I like sat down i sat down for two hours or however long that movie is and i watched it before i had to go to my second class written by the Cohen brothers it's not it's 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 yeah. not a bad movie it's just it's her bad movie from yeah. what i understand again yeah. i haven't oh, no, seen yeah the people 30. think that one's bad. Yeah. i just think that was interesting i just think the jack o'connell thing is so interesting i think that, that like, isn't the guy that's based on like in real life he was like really racist also or something it's like a I, huge issue don't know i know that like you know they made a sequel to unbroken right i i did not know that uh, <laughs> that is news so to me. this is this is the thing i know about that guy <laughs> the film was followed by a sequel unbroken path well, to redemption let, let, let me tell hell? you this let me tell what you the this hell? <laughs> no, the sequel is a pure flicks movie what the hell it's a christ core <laughs> movie because that guy i don't know if he's super racist i don't but i do know that that guy is like a devout evangelical christian um so i remember that that being like a thing when unbroken came out that people are like wow they're all lighting a lot of stuff about that guy and then it was like yeah no pure flicks you know who pure flicks are right yeah 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 they're the god's <laughs> not dead they're the god's not dead company guys um to the the amount of actors that Pure Flicks like convinces to be in their movies is mind boggling. Do me. they do they or is it all weird evangelicals who are in there? It movie? could be weird evangelicals who who agree to be. I I don't know. How are their agents allowing them to be in the movies? Is yeah. Kind of I, what I, I, I I regret not getting into Pure Flicks early <laughs> because now it's just too much. And I, I would like to have that in my back pocket of like I watch all these yeah. movies because it. I, I have this very broad take that like exploitation cinema isn't is 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 an industrial mode. It's not like a content mode. And contemporary exploitation cinema like is in fact stuff like Pure Flix. Uh, there's other things to that. Like I have friends, and like my my take is that like if you call yourself an exploitation head and you only watch grindhouse movies, you're fake. You need to be into Pure Flix or into like right-wing anti-Hillary documentaries or my <laughs> personal mode of this into straight-to-streaming teen movies. Like, you got to, like, figure out what the contemporary junk, like, bottom-of-the-barrel slop is to get obsessed with. And I kind of just wish I had gotten into pure flicks because it's just... There's just too much to do it now. It I mean, the be, whole the whole yeah. idea is that they're exploiting an interest to make money. Exactly. That's... Yeah. That is... it. As an industrial phenomena that's interesting i think it would be interesting to have like a a deep understanding of what's going on with these movies and i worry that if i did it now it would be an affectation because uh, i have friends who are really into pure flicks and they say these movies are like weird to talk about there's a fucking pure <laughs> Probably, flicks horror movie in yeah. theaters right now 
Uh, what is it? What's the one that's uh, in theaters right now? Nefarious with the guy from the like demonic possession movie with the guy from um, uh, the uh, the Boondock Saints. Yeah, that's that's secretly a pure flicks movie. It's it's directed by the guys who wrote all the guys on dead movies. Oh my god. Jolie, great, great in the good shepherd. She that, that is her best performance. So good in Wanted, uh, not a very good movie. So good in Sky Captain, not a very good movie. Did you watch those that wish me dead? Uh I did not Sheridan. I did not. I think you would like that one actually. Oh, speaking of uh speaking of Taylor Sheridan, can I can I tell you something? <laughs> yeah, go for it. They got bleeped out. Uh, I'm going to bleep this out. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Who else is in this movie? Don- Rosario is fucking wasted, man. I'm sorry. Like that's, she's that's she's wasted. Biggest- also, should not be in this movie, though. It's bad casting. Yeah. Rosario Dawson plays Alexander the Great's wife. Her casting and- is almost the, like, her casting is almost the foolproof argument to say that this movie is actually racist. I think this movie is actually racist. Oh, no, oh, but oh. I'm saying I'm saying you can just lead off with her casting as this role in the movie, and there's almost yeah. uh, like a foolproof, inarguable argument that you have to say that this movie is racist. Reserve Again, Dawson. she's Afro-Latino. Yeah. She's cast as a Persian woman in this I, movie. You, I, hey, <laughs> hey. I'm not disagreeing. I just want to say... Rosario Dawson is my all-time like we fucked up actor, right? She should yeah. be bigger. She should have better roles. She is too good of an actress to kind of just have the career that she's had. Why did Spike Lee just like stop using her? That's the that's my question, I guess. I don't know. I don't necessarily think she's super great in the spike well okay no dude what are you saying let me rephrase that i don't think both of them she's she's incredible i don't think she's super great and he got game um no she's really good she gives the whole speech about like lala's gotta get hers before like yeah i don't like okay the thing about spike lee is that the gender politics of spike lee movies are already pretty fucked up (laughs) yeah that is true um (laughs) they often are they often have been it's a whole thing like i'm not he got game which is one of my favorite Spike Lee movies. It's actually, I think, one of the worst offenders in this role. And like Dawson becomes just like such a weird vector for Spike Lee's like fear of gold diggers, which is a thing that runs through a lot of his movies. That character, Naturel in 25th Hour is, I think, written kind of similarly. Uh, she is great in 25th Hour. Like, she does escape the orbit. The problem is she still probably gives the worst performance in 25th Hour, but that's because it's the film 25th Hour. And this is my 25th hour take. I think there is a good argument to be made that every single actor in 25th hour gives their career best performance in that movie. Mm. I think Paquin is the only one where it's, and maybe Philip Seymour Hoffman's best performance is in 25th hour. I think it might be. I mean, Barry Pepper. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dawson. Yes. Cox undeniably. Edward Norton. Yes. Uh, Norton's my winner that year. What about Spike Lee? He's he's not in twenty fifth hour. Yeah, is he's he the police? He's the police officer. Oh, that who arrests Edward Norton. Spike Lee. Oh, you know, here's the thing. Spike Lee's a bad actor, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're not into a uh, uh, Mars. Um, uh, what's his name? What's oh no, his I, like, I like I like I like Mars. I like Mars. That's the good one. He's fine and do the right thing. You've do seen right all the air. Just... You've seen the Air Jordan commercials, right? That I've in. seen the Air Jordan. Yeah, Connor. I don't know. 
I don't know if you've had this conversation, but if your question is, does Cole know X about Spike Lee or has Cole seen Y Spike <laughs> Lee project? The answer is yes. I, hey, I've good done, to know moving forward. Like I, there was a period of my life where it was like, I only want to think about Spike Lee movies. I only want to watch Spike Lee movies. I'm still kind of that guy. Like I've That's a pretty satisfying work. life to lead, I think. Yeah, you got a lot so to think about and a lot to talk about. I don't know, to get back to what you're actually asking, I don't know why they uh, stopped working together. You know the Rent story though, right? Rent? So no. she's in Rent. She's in Rent. Rosario Dawson. I don't remember. I haven't seen Rent in a very long time. She is in the film Rent. It's a Daniel Kaluuya situation here. That's insane. Okay, she, she's Mimi in Rent. Um, she's like the lead of the film Rent. She, along with Tracy Toms... I haven't the, seen Rent since 2008. Uh, yeah. She, along with Tracy Toms, are the only actors in that movie who weren't in the original Broadway cast. She's replacing Danny, uh, Daphne Rubin Vega... I believe the official reason why she's replacing Daphne Rubin Vega is that Daphne Rubin Vega was pregnant at the time, but Spike Lee was supposed to make Rent before Chris Columbus was. Spike Lee drops off that project. Chris Columbus comes on that project. Um, I have always just insane turn of of job offer right there. Yeah, like well, Chris Columbus <laughs> was fucking hot at that point. But uh, still. First of all, the, the mythical Spike Lee version of Rent would have been like one of the great movies. I have to assume that Spike Lee brought Rosario Dawson onto Rent because that's when he's working with her a lot. Uh, probably, yeah. I don't know. My, my Doesn't thing Rent was, come out like right when uh, right when this movie came out? Right when uh, the next out? year. This Rent's the yeah. next year. My thing about Rosario Dawson is that because she like, she pops in kids, Right. Um, yeah. I, 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 I kind of feel literally, like, literally like sitting on her stoop and the director of kids is walking by and says, Hey, well, you should be in this movie. This is, this is yeah. my point. Okay. And like, people might, people might get mad at me for what I'm about to say, but the <laughs> two people who pop from skins are Rosario Dawson and Chloe Sevigny. Chloe mm-hmm. Sevigny is already a little famous when she does skins. Yeah. But the thing about Chloe, Sydney, well, not famous, but she's already in that uh, New York like. That's what. That's what I mean. That's world. what I mean. Yeah. She's already kind of a person in like the New York fashion world. Yeah. Chloe Savigny coming out of kids, kind of just gets cemented as like this gorgeous scenester. And please don't get mad at me, guy. But almost thirty years later. I think it is a completely fair thing to say that Chloe Savigny is a scenester who dabbles in acting, right? Yeah. I don't even think that's insulting. I don't I think, think that's like a hot take. I think well, she would probably she also agree with that. She has shooters. That's what I'm worried about. All right. But I, I think that's who is. She's this incredibly beautiful, stylish, striking Well, she woman. did get blacklisted for a while. I know? don't think she actually did. <laughs> um, but because no one saw that movie. But um, I think there's a case to be like Ebert and like Ebert and Sis- Siskel and Ebert covered it on their show, you know? Yeah, well, Ebert covered it because it was the whole story. I mean, okay, no, but I'm saying said. like nobody saw that movie, but like the story is enough. Sure. People, like knew about you it. You can yeah. say she got blacklisted, but here's my counter to you saying she got blacklisted. Right after that movie comes out, she does a Woody Allen movie, a Lars von Trier movie, um, a Jim Jarmusch movie and a David Fincher movie. Okay, like three of the four guys you don't care about 
black. I I'm mean, just saying Fincher too. Yeah. she's working. I think it's more that she's just like a seamster who is in movies. Right. And like, she's often very good in movies, but that's my point about Chloe Sevigny is he's more like a public figure and a fashion figure, I think, and a filmmaker than a director. I feel like people think about Rosario actor. Dawson in a similar way. And Rosario Dawson's a real deal actor. Yeah. But people want to cast her okay, as like I get what a beautiful I, I get woman. what you're saying, and I agree with you. I, That's what I'm yeah. saying. I get what but, you're saying. Yeah. But, and, and people want to cast Rosario Dawson similarly to how they cast Chloe Sevigny, which is like pure beauty that we can do something interesting with. That is, again, not to denigrate Chloe Sevigny. I think that's a skill. But Richard Dawson's a really fucking good actress. It is almost like bad for her career that she's the most beautiful woman on the planet. Yeah. Because people just want her to be this gorgeous object, which is what this movie uses her as. I think it's bad for her career. I think it's probably also not, I don't want to, I don't want to say this as in like, Rosario Dawson has done this to herself. This is obviously like a more systemic issue within the film industry and how people get cast. I think that it is, it was also bad for her career that she um, is from that like New York city crowd of people in the villages, um, like in the art scene. And also because of how like outspoken liberal she is about a lot of the issues that are happening uh, in our country, I think the, both of those in conjunction probably paint her as somebody who, uh, again, like you're saying, is more of a scenester, is more of a yeah. personality in this environment and not a working actor going out and trying to get jobs. Which um, is like the thing, though, it. because, and I want to say, this is not her fault. Rosario Dawson fucking works, right? She does like five movies a yeah. year. Like, you can't ever hold this against her her it's that she's not getting jobs and she could be getting jobs and like instead she has to be in clerks three uh do you know what the deal is with her in clerks three uh no so have you seen clerks two i have seen clerks two yeah so she's just love interest in clerks two the 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 premise of clerks three is that shortly after dante and uh becky get together at the end of clerks two which is how Clerks 2 ends, right? That she starts dating Dante. Yeah. They conceive a kid. And then before the kid is born, she gets hit by a drunk driver and dies. So Clerks Man. 3, again. That's the... how Clerks 3 starts? <laughs> no, Clerks 3 starts with it being like that happened 15 years ago. No, but I'm again, saying that's like, that is yeah. the prerequisite oh, yeah. to Clerks Connor, 3. I've Damn. said this before. <laughs> Clerks 3 is the saddest movie ever made. Um <laughs> So she's dead in Clerks 3 because he still needs to be a depressed sad sack. So she shows up in a couple scenes in Clerks 3 as her ghost. And I swear to God, most of what she does is talk about like the nasty sex she's having in heaven with like other famous dead people. And I'm like, Rosario, I'm just, I'm upset that this is the only job you can get. And I know you were probably on set for a day and you were like, and Kevin Smith loves to pull favors, but just like a, a, a great actress who I can name like five like truly great performances she's given. She's good at Danny Boyle's trance, which is a disaster of a movie. Uh, she just hasn't gotten the roles and she deserves yeah. better. Yeah. She has nothing to do in this movie. She, she could be completely cut out of this movie. 
And it would probably be a better movie. This movie thinks it's a love triangle between her and Jared Leto. And it's actually a love triangle between Jared Leto and uh, what's his face? Um, Oh, the the eunuch, uh, Francisco Boss. He's got an interesting name. Uh, Bagos. Again, that's my other thing with this movie is I know you said the take on this movie is isn't it interesting that this famous guy was like casually bisexual? And I, I, I think this movie is so terrified of that. No, I think that's, I think that's Oliver Stone's take. Oh no, yeah, no, I'm not, yeah. I, I, yeah, no, I understand what you were saying. I yeah. think this movie is too terrified of the bisexuality to ever really engage with it. But, but I think that's have... what makes, I think that's what makes it Oliver Stone's take because I think sure. it's so terrified of it yeah. that, that it makes it even more prominent that Oliver Stone is like, this is so weird. Could you imagine being attracted to a man? It's so weird. I don't know. Could get you imagine it. being attracted yeah. to Jared Leto, like famously the most beautiful and feminine man of all time, even if he's a terrible actor? Shocking. You know what you do see in this movie, though? What? What do you see in this movie? You see Colin Farrell's penis. Do After you? all that. Did you see it in the, this movie? Yeah. At least I, the I do not remember did. seeing it in this movie. It's 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 like a fucking like Affleck in um, Gone Girl thing where it's like barely there but when he's about to the, the the one gay sex scene in this movie which i've said is like a a fade to black thing where bagoas gets in bed with him and they kiss for a bit and then it fades to black colin stands up to whoa go okay to bed. so i don't that is i don't think that's in the final cut oh okay in the ultimate cut colin stands up to go to bed and it's like a shot of him from behind but yeah. like as he stands up like because he's like lying down as he stands, you see his penis like flopping between his legs. No, I'm saying I don't yeah. think them kissing and then it fades to black. Is oh, in it's not. Cut. It's in yeah. the ultimate cut. It's and it's in not in the theatrical cut. cut either. Oh, it's definitely not in the theatrical cut. That I yeah. know. The The big story about this movie is that they like in in the development of this movie, they kind of like hyped up the whole like. Alexander the Great is gay, maybe stuff, bisexual, maybe <laughs> stuff. Um, and then there was like all this like pre-buzzy controversy around it. And then when when the movie actually did come out, like the five people who saw this movie were like, oh, it's not in the movie. No, when you were saying it's a Hitchcockian sex scene, what I was thinking about in the final cut, and I think it's portrayed the same exact way in the theatrical cut, is there's a scene of a nude Alexander getting into bed and yes. um, uh, yes. what's the character's name again? Can you say the character's Bagoas. name? Bagoas. Bagoas. Bagoas is watching him step into bed. It cuts into Alexander's face while he's in bed, and then it cuts to a close-up of Bagoas's face, and then it fades to black. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. first of all, that is the scene I'm talking about. In the ultimate cut, you do see Colin's penis, and as he gets into bed, um, mm. brief. Like I said, briefly. Um, I just I'm hampering on this because I think it's just interesting because. That was so the story of home at the end of the world. And it's yeah, so but not I the guess story here. By the time, I guess if it's not in the final cut and it's not in the theatrical, but cut, they still shot by the time by the time that the ultimate cut comes out, yeah, it's like you know, that was that 2014 when but, the ultimate cut comes out. Yeah, 2014. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, in, in the ultimate cut, you see Bagoas get into bed with him and they kiss briefly. Yeah, you only see them kiss in the final cut um, when Bagoas gives that dance when they're in. Yeah, uh, no. when they first arrive in India, uh, Bagoas gives a dance to the Again. like royal summit or whatever. When they con- they conquer some village, and then this is all stuff. This is all stuff I am assuming is the case because the film doesn't say that this is what's happening, but it is. I guess 
uh, intimated that they conquered some village and now they're having a royal summit and Bogoas gives a dance and Alexander's pretty drunk and he kisses Bogoas and then like right thereafter is when he gets in the argument with Cletus and he kills Cletus. Yes, that's also yeah. in the ultimate. It's just if you're gonna make the, that be a crux of the movie, this this love triangle in a way between or not even love triangle, but things just like all these various people that Alexander is sleeping with, like wanting to be the one who controls him, wanting to be the like right right hand person that really yeah. has to be the movie you're making and this movie shies away from it so much does not help that leto is so pointed to it when leto is like this isn't even like a bad leto performance is the thing it's pretty bad it's, i should tell you well, no, exactly why it's pretty but bad. it's no no this is what i'm saying yeah because it's a jared leto performance so like <laughs> the the fucking like bar is on the floor here so i'm not even that annoyed but you think he's doing it here he's just he's <laughs> He's like, when's he good is the thing. He's like this maybe is, my least favorite actor. This is exactly why I think um, Colin is giving a good performance when you're looking at it in juxtaposition with Jared Leto's doing. Colin, when he is speaking with um, uh, Hephaestian, is Hephaestian, that Jared Leto? Hephaestian and Bogoas is not, he's not transitioning into gay personification when he is interacting with those two characters, he's, he's not necessarily like acting any differently than he does in intimate sequences with, or the intimate sequence with Rosario Dawson's character. Um, but there's a scene like right before the battle against the Persian King at the very beginning of the film where Alexander is telling Hephaestus, he's like, it's, it's hard to spend the night, night alone before battle and it's like jared leto flips the switch to being like i have to be gay now and he like tilts his head and he's like my alexander and it's like jared leto is literally flipping like instead of just playing a real person he's like just switching in and out of like i have to be gay at this moment in time and i have to be like a different character is as an actor like that's why he's a terrible actor yeah but i'm saying like it's bad yeah. it's oh i know truly it's bad. Horrible. i'm just saying yeah. like i don't watch this movie and like see anything out of the ordinary because i've just seen i just so used but like that's why he's such a bad actor is that like everything he does is performed do you get what i'm saying um yeah i have a question for you everything he does is mimicry of other people i have a question for you sure what's the better jared leto movie that performance just what's the better movie that he has a supporting role in suicide squad or blade runner 2 Oh, it's Blade Runner 2. Are you because, sure? Because I think it's yeah, Suicide Squad. No, no, because they, because they, 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 it's a, like a meta, it's like a meta where casting and Blade I Runner forgot he was in it. He's probably really bad in it. But the thing no, about No, but Jared they Leto's- play, they cast him, they cast him as a guy who thinks he's Jesus Ugh. in Blade Runner 2049. So it makes sense. Like why he's, he's in that movie. Good in House of Gucci because of the kind of movie that House of Gucci is. That like how fucking cartoonish of an actor he can be actually like works in that space somehow. I actually do think he's good in House of Gucci. I think uh, there are ways in which he is used again, like Blade Runner 2049. They cast him as a guy who thinks he's Jesus. That's like one you're never gonna uh, get him to watch that movie again. American psycho. I think he's used yes, well he's actually yes, he's quite he's good just in American a guy, psycho. He's just just a guy who is more attractive than Christian Bale, but is just and, as empty. Um, but it's just as empty. Um, a fight I, club. Edward Norton beats the shit out of he's him. Barely and, in it. 
Brad Pitt yells, you're too fucking blonde in his face. I like the Yako Van Dormeil film, Mr. Nobody. Um, oh, yeah. And I, well, I, I don't. That movie. And well, I, I do kind of want to say that I like that movie because that movie's so like stylishly made and everything. Um, I do kind of have to invoke the phone booth rule, which is that Jared Leto is in fact basically in every shot of that movie. And therefore, if the movie is good, I do have to think I have to say that Leto is good in this weird cartoon of a movie. Sure, Those are my I positives. Guess. He's just a really bad actor. He's so bad in Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, he's so bad in Lord of War. I think that's the one where I'm like, oh, that's actually the worst performance he's ever given is Lord of War. Insane that he almost got an Oscar nomination for The Little Things. What about uh, Morbius, man? I never saw Morbius. <laughs> no, I haven't either. Oh, he, he's good in Requiem for a Dream. but I, No, I, 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 I hate that movie, and I think he's really bad in that movie. That's part of why I hate that movie. I disagree. I think that's like the one... That the one like real performance he gives. No, Wayans is the one real performance in that movie. Wayans also gives a good performance in that movie. I'm saying the one real performance in the totality of Jared Leto's career. Oh, I think, is given uh, I think it's I think it's Paolo Gucci and Hazaguchi. Um I haven't seen Hazaguchi. So. Oh, dude, it's it's not that great. He's so good at it. That's why I haven't um, seen it. <laughs> did you, you know? see the little things though? I, I have seen the little things. I think that was it's just like a late night HBO watch. Two years on. I think we need to just admit to ourselves that everything that happened in the COVID award season was fake and needs an <laughs> asterisk put next to it. Even the stuff that like turned out well, because shit was so desperate that Jared Leto almost got an Oscar nomination for a movie that if the pandemic had not happened, still would have been a January cop thriller. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but we were desperate to find movies. We're, we're, I think we're going to end up talking about it later. You know who directed The Little Things? Yeah, John Lee Hancock. You know what movie John Lee Hancock directed in 2015? Uh, Save Mr. Banks. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, John Lee Hancock. Oh, man. I'm so excited for that episode. You have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was talking to our, have you seen Saving Mr. Banks? I have, yeah. Okay. I have not seen Saving Mr. Banks. But I was talking to the guests we have on that episode about that movie. And he said, I think it is the movie where Colin actually like addresses the substance abuse. Stuff. Oh, 100%. And he said it 100%. might be like the secret Rosetta Stone. So I'm if, very excited to watch that it's, movie. It's secretly like the saddest performance ever given. In I'm any movie ever. so excited to watch that movie. <laughs> I am so excited for that episode. That's going to be cool. That, that, movie, that movie is like a two hour long like commercial for Disney, but you may I cry. Know. You you may you may oh, be okay. brought to tears while you're watching Colin in that movie. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. so excited. Okay, I'm glad you've seen it. I'm glad you've seen yeah. it. Uh, do we have anything else we want to say about Alexander? Uh, I don't know. I don't. This movie sucks. I wrote down myth becomes real question mark at the end. And I don't remember why I wrote that down. Oh, can I say another thing that fucking sucks about this movie? Dog shit score. Yeah. That is just like a bad bad. rewrite of the on her majesty secret service score. Again, the movie doesn't even really look that good like despite oliver stone being one of like the premier stylists of american cinema and like major a great cinematographer it just major tv really bad energy yeah there was it looks it looks like season one of game of thrones when like the armies are lining up to like go into battle that's what it looks like there was uh and um armand de sante 
miniseries adaptation of the Odyssey that aired in like the late nineties that I watched a bunch as a kid. And I think this movie has like equivalent production value to like a nineties TV movie. This afternoon I watched like the first third of uh, Troy. um, Thank you for bringing up Troy. Which came up, which came out in the same year, um, which is based on the Iliad. Uh, It's a Wolfgang Peterson film that Brad Pitt stars in as Achilles. And uh, I, I, you know, I didn't finish it. I've seen that movie before. Troy's a movie that I would rewatch. I would like willingly rewatch. And Alexander is one that I would not. I have never seen Troy, but I think you've never seen it. I've never seen Troy. Wow. Um, A thing that I find interesting about this movie is a big plot point of this movie is you've said that, Alexander's mom tells him that he's the son of Zeus and that informs things. But I actually think the bigger thing that informs his quest for greatness isn't that, it's that her, it's that she also says that she is descended from Achilles and therefore he is descended from Achilles and he needs to be as great a figure as Achilles. He needs to outdo Achilles. I think that's the major tension that is driving this movie. I think it is very interesting that this movie comes out the same year as Troy. For yeah. that reason, because this is a movie about someone consciously placing himself in the lineage of the Iliad, right? And this is a movie that I think a big reason why this movie bombs is that Troy comes out six months earlier. But Troy also and like didn't get great reviews. It no, but it have made a great reception. money. It did. But I think I think people want. Uh, I think people wanted a junkie action movie because Troy made a lot of money. And then they come to this and this movie is so inert that like, that's the first fucking like, you know, that's Joe Pesci getting hit with the baseball bat for the first time, you know, like it's over because everyone who bothered to come out to see this movie had seen Troy and this movie isn't going to even deliver that. And I just think it's interesting that that is like a weird, you know, weirdly reflected in the text of the film. By pure action. Well, like if you read the Roger Ebert review for um, Alexander, he yeah. talks about how these movies are kind of like inverses of each other, yeah. where Troy has a compelling story because, of course, it does because it's like yeah, yeah. A, it's a retelling of like the oldest, most historic yeah. story ever told. Um, but it does so in a way where it modernizes it through the use of like new age special effects where the armies are so large and so vast that they, yeah. they no longer look real or feel tactile. And the um, like military strategy that you're supposed to be compelled by while you're watching the film feels very flat and it feels very meaningless. And then you have Alexander, which is a, like a be- because of it being directed by Oliver Stone, and his style of filmmaking, inherently feels more tactile but it's a story that is for all intents and purposes meaningless that leads nowhere and it's like if these two films could be conjoined into one and take the best characteristics of each other then you end up with a really good movie about this uh not not this specific period of history because again like the iliad is a fictional story that may possibly be based on a real event that took place that nobody can prove actually happened we don't we can't we can't get into it yeah like a thousand years before alexander takes place um but like the same style of greek sword and sandal film if you were to like conjoin the better characteristics of both these films you end up with a good movie but in the way that the films are you end up with like two lacking movies but that said troy is 
like a movie with a functional story and like a pretty dynamic camera and it is trying to do interesting things through adapting the story of the Iliad to like new age filmmaking techniques and Alexander just completely falls apart and in my opinion is is like an utter disaster at the highest level almost here's what I think is the final statement on this because you can say well Troy wasn't super well received yeah but at the end of the day when the dust had settled and this movie had come out and Troy had come out Troy gets an Oscar nomination and this movie doesn't that is true it gets a costume nomination you know what this movie gets six Razzie nominations to Troy zero this movie got six Razzie nominations. But Troy, I think it's, the, I, I, I hope you watch Troy on this before one. we do the way back because you'll have an excuse to watch it um, okay. before we talk about Wolfgang Peterson. Wolfgang Peterson did not direct the way back. If we're going to come here, if we're going to I'm sorry, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wolfgang Peterson did not direct the way back. What are you saying? Peter Weir directed the Peter Weir directed the way back. Sorry. Did Wolfgang Peterson direct a, a Colin movie? No. <laughs> Sorry, I believe he, he was attached I don't know, to I don't, Artemis Fowl for a while. I don't know why. I don't know why I screwed that up. That's like I mean, very, I'll tell you this. I believe yeah. at one point Wolfgang Peterson was going to make Artemis Fowl, uh, a movie we will be discussing on this podcast. That makes no um, sense in my head. Sorry. I, I I hope you I hope you watch Troy at, at some point. Then I would like to talk to you about it, even if it's if, sure if it's off camera. Um, but I just want to say, you know what? I'm confusing. I'm confusing Troy. And uh, for some reason in my head, I'm like Troy and Master and Commander. I mean, oh, yes. Master. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. Um, At the Razzies, this movie was nominated for worst actor, worst actress, worst director, worst picture, uh, worst screenplay and worst supporting actor for Val, which is just rude. It doesn't win. Any got nominated for worst actress. Worst actress. Angelina. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> you ready? You ready for you ready for the nominees for worst actress at the Razzies? This yeah, is just sure. like, for the record, it's fuck the Razzies all the time. Yeah, uh, they, they're never right. No, I just say no. The fact that this movie, and especially when I tell you what it's up against, gets nominated for worst all these Razzies. That's how much of a fucking stink there was on this movie. That's how much of a bomb this movie was. Damn, okay. Angelina Go Jolie is nominated against Halle Berry and Catwoman, uh Hillary Duff in a Cinderella story and Raise Your Voice. Wow, that is that is offensive. A Cinderella story. Both Olsen yeah. twins, both Olsen twins oh sharing God. a nomination for New York Minute. And this both, is just mean by this point. Oh, and both Wayans brothers sharing a nomination for white chicks. Damn. This movie is nominated for worst picture for best for worst actress. Like the yeah, way they do that. It's so annoying. Uh, this movie is nominated for worst picture against Catwoman, Super Babies, Baby Geniuses Two, Surviving Christmas, and White Chicks. One of those movies is not like the other, and it's the three and a half hour should have been an Oscar sensation Oliver Stone picture, right? Is like, Super Babies. Baby Geniuses to a real movie, or yeah. did you just make that up? No, it's a real movie. Why do I feel like that can't be a real movie? Uh, I need to Google this right now. Directed by Bob Clark, because Bob Clark directed the first one. What am I looking? John Voight is in Super Babies. Of course Baby he Geniuses is too. Of course he is. Did he get nominated for worst actor? No. Uh, okay, let me get you the worst actor nominees. <laughs> Man, can you imagine if the Razzies was so, the reunion of? 
uh, John Voight and Angelina Jolie. If like that's all yeah. we needed to so, have. So Colin Farrell is nominated for worst actor. Also nominated for worst actor, Ben Affleck, Jersey Girls, and Surviving Christmas. Offensive. I love Ben, but this is this is what the Razzies do. They want to kick you when they're down. Vin Diesel for the Chronicles of Riddick. This is what the Razzies do. They want to kick you when they're down. This one's rude. Ben Stiller for Along Came Polly, Anchorman, Dodgeball, Envy, and Starsky and Hutch. Those were hits, Razzies. Yeah, that's that's. Wild. And then the winner was George Bush for Fahrenheit 9-11. I am, I am <laughs> doing a jacking off motion right now. But this is what I'm saying, right? Is like, oh my God. This is not who this is not the kind of movie that the Razzies is normally going to target that the, no. and the Razzies love easy targets, right? Their worst supporting actress winner this year is uh Britney Spears for showing up in Fahrenheit 9-11, right? Like they love an easy target that this movie is like all over the Razzies. That's how much of a bomb this fucker was. I think we should call it like, yeah. This is the worst movie we've talked about. We're going to talk about a worst movie later, but that might be the only one. I think this movie is truly terrible because it just is nothing to give. It's the worst movie it can be. Like when I was saying that, I think he gives his best performance. I think that he You've realized a... that you said something foolish. No, 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 no. I don't. I, I stand by it. I just, I don't. It's not a perform. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I can, I can see the performance that he was trying to give in a different movie. And maybe I, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the performance that is given in this movie. I, I can like see the yeah. actor work that he's doing in this movie through the performance that I see in this film, but it, it doesn't really like breathe through in the movie that you get. It's not worth watching in any way. I think that is a very interesting read that I just don't understand at all, but I think <laughs> I truly, I don't understand all, but I, I think yeah. that's a very interesting way to think about something. And uh, I will never let this go, by the way. Uh, you're going to have to answer this for the next, what, 46 episodes of this podcast. Well, I mean, probably, <laughs> probably two, ep- probably three episodes from now, I'm going to immediately say he gives a better performance. Probably, yeah, ne- probably. next episode, I'm going to, maybe I'll say he gives a You've seen what we're covering next. I haven't. You keep saying it's bad. It's, um, it's, it's pretty bad. It's, yeah. it's pretty hard to deal with. Uh, do you have a game? I don't have a game. This movie sapped all the joy out of me. I no, think I, of I, I, we don't have no, to. We can call know. it. It's been we've been going for over two hours. I think we could call it. I, I, I uh, wanted to do something fun with Dan, but I'm going to save it for when he. Let's save it. Yes. It apologies to our guests. We had to bump. Um, there were when we planned this out. There were two movies I did not want to talk about. This was one of them for reasons that I think has been expressed, which is just that I find this movie mind-numbingly dull and I just don't want to think about it. How do you then, feel? How do you feel when the uh when everything turns red? When oh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I like that. I wish the movie was more like that. That's yeah, what I'm a, saying. It's like there, there are like moments where it's like you could build that's a, a real movie Oliver around Stone. like you could build the yeah. movie around that. And like I'm saying, like if you if you if you juxtapose the downfall of his father and Alexander's rise to power against him entering, like when they're at the Hindu Kush and they enter India and his downfall, he's already married to Rakshana, who's Rosario Dawson's character. She's already, there's already conflict between 
her and his love for Hephaestion and you have a different actor that's not Jared Leto playing Hephaestion that it's like yeah but that point you're it's just like a whole different movie but what I'm trying to say is like there is a movie there is a compelling movie about Alexander the Great of course could make yeah I know you could maybe say that Connor's writer's workshop is an unfair way to like criticize movies because you're not looking at the actual movie. You're just like inventing your own movie. But here's the thing, especially with this one, Connor is right. <laughs> Everything Connor has said about his imaginary rewrites of this movie are right. Uh, we can't really engage with this movie on its level because its level is non-existent. I'm sorry. I only um, do it. I only do it at times. When, oh no, no, no! I'm just busting I your think, balls, dude. I'm busting like, your balls. You're fine. No, but like I don't do Connor's writers' workshop for like Minority Report for like the few issues we might have with Minority. Yeah. You know what I mean? Zero like, issues with Minority Report. <laughs> I only, Zero. I only, I only do it when we're dealing with something that is like justifiably, uh, yeah. it's like a justifiable misstep, and I'm if trying you, to think of you, a way that you yeah, can like no, correct. No, you're course. fine. You're fine. Yeah. Uh, if you break it out during Widows, I'm going to come to Hoboken and break your hand, though. Um, <laughs> a perfect screenplay. Um, anyway, the point I was making was two movies I didn't want to cover. This was one of them because I had just seen this movie before and I fucking knew how annoying it was going to have to be to think about it. The other one I had not seen. I just don't really want to get into it. Uh, and our guest who wanted to do this movie when he understandably had to drop out for totally valid reasons, uh, asked to do uh, the other poison pill movie in Colin Farrell's filmography. So he'll be back for that one in a couple of weeks. You can probably guess what it is, gang. I don't want to talk about that one either. Uh, No one wants to talk about that one. Should you and I not, should we enter the Zoom call, press record, then both of us leave the Zoom call and we just leave him on? (laughs) You know what? Okay. (laughs) Here's here's my actual thing is, I'll tell you off mic. Um, I'll tell you off mic. for all that I don't want to do it, I think that um, it would be cowardly not to do it. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, we have you to. Can, gang, you can probably guess this. Uh, this particular filmmaker is, in fact, one of the most important American filmmakers of all time. And the this, the the turn people have taken in the past couple of years to just pretending he doesn't exist is, I think, not as interesting as actually trying to engage with his work and his importance, even if the Colin Farrell movie in question is not an important film. Even if um, that's a, a, a you know a dig against me specifically. Not, I no, just, no, 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 it's not. No, no I just no, have no other way. Against, I just it's not know a dig no against other you. way to to deal with this man at the, at, yeah. at this point in time. As it's, somebody, it's, as somebody who who had not watched his films before, knowing all what I know about him. I do it's, not know how to contend with his career as a filmmaker. No, that you know I mean? I'm no, that I'm fine with. That I'm understand. It is it is people's response to stuff about this guy's personal life to then turn around and say, well, he's a hack. He's not worth engaging when he has in fact That's different. Yeah. When he has in fact directed more actors to Oscar wins than any living filmmaker. Like, you kind of have to acknowledge the fact that this guy's an important filmmaker. That being said, I still don't necessarily want to get into it. It'll be a fun one. Um, Next week, we are doing something a little different next week. Uh, Because like I said, this movie and this movie flopping is, I think, the end of Colin Farrell's movie star run. But that does not happen the moment the movie comes out, right? He's we, got we didn't really talk press. about this this much. We didn't really talk about it this much. But yeah. it's it it's unsaid, but this movie I think is 
Colin Farrell's first legitimate attempt at prestige acting. He, I don't in, I don't know if you can really count a home at the end of the world in that no, category. Because it's yeah. so small. He in in the interview I read where he talks about like this movie being a wake up call for him, the flop. Uh, he also said that going into the shoot, he thought he was going to win an Oscar. Yeah, which is not. Uh, here's the thing, is not a hubristic thing to say. No, no. I mean, if you're that hot and you're working with Stone, it Oliver just Stone, Oliver Stone, like historically by this point in time has like made careers for actors. Made careers for actors. Interestingly, yeah. unless I'm wrong, I don't believe has ever directed an actor to an Oscar, but a no, lot but of I, nominations. But I think there's a sense that like he, like there were actors who were movie stars and then they worked yes. with Oliver Stone and then they are legitimate Oscar worthy actors Tom, moving forward. In Tom, Tom, Tom Cruise. Um, I don't even like that movie that much, but he but makes also Tom. Val. Val. Val is like that too. Yeah. yeah. But so, no, that's what I'm Harley saying. Harley Sheen. It is an understandable approach to have to working with, with Oliver Stone, and that it doesn't happen, I think, ruins his career. But that career ruination does not happen overnight. He still has to do press for this movie, and next week, yeah, gang, we are talking about the December twelfth, two thousand four episode of Saturday Night Live, hosted by Colin Farrell. With musical guest, the Scissor Sisters. I'm really excited to get into this. You're not going to be excited once you're like five minutes into the episode. Man. Maybe, but I'm interested. <laughs> uh, until then, I should, I really need to put some thought. Oh, Connor, plug the Instagram. Well, I think of someone to tell the fuck off. Plug the Instagram. Fuck off. Should I change uh, it to at fuck off above the yeah, title? Yes, <laughs> it's about, about uh, at above the title pod. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be good. Um, I'm working on it, people. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, rate, that. review, subscribe. Yeah. Tell a friend. You know, I think that's more fun. Tell someone if they think they might like this way too long podcast about movies from the early 2000s that no one has ever thought about. If you want to come on the podcast, let us know. If you want to come <laughs> on the podcast, and I will vet you first. Uh, but yeah, seriously, let us know if you want to come on the podcast. We haven't booked you already. I know people who, who are ignoring me. Um, yeah, uh, so next week. Saturday Night Live, we are about to hit a very weird patch in Colin Farrell's career, but I think it's going to be a very interesting and artistically fulfilling patch. Uh, Terrence Malick is right around the corner. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, we're we're going to have a lot to talk about. Until then, fuck Vladimir Putin. It's all been all back to life.